Listening Library presents The Kill Order by James Dashner Read for you by Mark Deakins Prologue Teresa looked at her best friend and wondered what it would be like to forget him. It seemed impossible, though she'd now seen the swipe implanted in dozens of boys before Thomas. Sandy brown hair, penetrating eyes, and a constant look of contemplation. How could this kid ever be unfamiliar to her? How could they be in the same room and not joke about some smell or make fun of some clueless slouch nearby? How could she ever stand in front of him and not leap at the chance to communicate telepathically? Impossible. And yet, only a day away. For her. For Thomas, it was a matter of minutes. He lay on the operating table, his eyes closed, chest rising and falling with soft, even breaths. Already dressed in the requisite shorts and T-shirt uniform of the Glade, he looked like a snapshot of the past, some ordinary boy taking an ordinary nap after a long day at an ordinary school, before sun flares and disease made the world anything but ordinary, before death and destruction made it necessary to steal children, along with their memories, and send them to a place as terrifying as the maze. Before human brains were known as the kill zone and needed to be watched and studied. All in the name of science and medicine. A doctor and a nurse had been prepping Thomas and now lowered the mask onto his face. There were clicks and hisses and beeps. Teresa watched as metal and wires and plastic tubes slithered across his skin and into the canals of Thomas's ears, saw his hands twitch reflexively at his sides. He probably felt pain on some level, despite the drugs, but he'd never remember it. The machine began its work, plucking images from Thomas's memory, erasing his mom and his dad and his life, erasing her. Some small part of her knew it should make her angry, make her scream and yell and refuse to help for one more second. But the greater part was as solid as the rock of the cliffs outside. Yes, the greater part within her was entrenched in certainty so deeply that she knew she'd feel it even after tomorrow, when the same thing would be done to her. She and Thomas were proving their conviction by submitting to what had been asked of the others. And if they died, so be it. Wicked would find the cure, millions would be saved, and life on earth would someday get back to normal. Teresa knew this in her core, as much as she knew that humans grow old and leaves fall from trees in autumn. Thomas sucked in a hitching breath, then made a little moaning sound, shifted his body. Teresa thought for a horrifying second that he might wake up, hysterical from the agony. Things were inside his head, doing who knew what to his brain. But he stilled and resumed the soft and easy breathing. The clicks and hisses continued, her best friend's memories fading like echoes. They'd said their official goodbyes, and the words, See you tomorrow, still rang in her head. For some reason that had really struck her when Thomas said it, made what he was about to do all the more surreal and sad. 
they would see each other tomorrow, although she'd be in a coma and he wouldn't have the slightest idea who she was, other than an itch in his mind that maybe she looked familiar. Tomorrow. After all they'd been through, all the fear and training and planning, it was all coming to a head. What had been done to Albi and Newt and Minho and all the rest would be done to them. There was no turning back. But the calmness was like a drug inside her. She was at peace, these soothing feelings keeping the terror of things like grievers and cranks at bay. Wicked had no choice. She and Thomas, they had no choice. How could she shrink at sacrificing a few to save the many? How could anyone? She didn't have time for pity or sadness or wishes. It was what it was. What was done was done. What would be, would be. There was no turning back. She and Thomas had helped construct the maze. At the same time, she'd exerted a lot of effort to build a wall holding back her emotions. Her thoughts faded then, seemed to float in suspended animation as she waited for the procedure on Thomas to be complete. When it finally was, the doctor pushed several buttons on his screen and the beeps and hisses and clicks sped up. Thomas's body twitched a little as the tubes and wires snaked away from their intrusive positions and back into his mask. He grew still again, and the mask powered down, all sound and movement ceasing. The nurse leaned forward and lifted it off Thomas's face. His skin was red and marked with lines where it had rested. Eyes still closed. For a brief moment, Teresa's wall holding back the sadness began to crumble. If Thomas woke up right then, he wouldn't remember her. She felt the dread, almost like panic, of knowing that they'd meet soon in the glade and not know each other. It was a crushing thought that reminded her vividly of why she'd built the wall in the first place. Like a mason slamming a brick into hardening mortar, she sealed the breach, sealed it solid and thick. There was no turning back. Two men from the security team came in to help move Thomas. They lifted him off the bed, hoisted him as if he were stuffed with straw. One had the unconscious boy by the arms, the other by the feet, and they placed him on a gurney. Without so much as a glance toward Teresa, they headed for the door of the operating room. Everyone knew where he was being taken. The doctor and the nurse went about the business of cleaning up. Their job was done. Teresa nodded at them, even though they weren't looking, then followed the men into the hallway. She could barely look at Thomas as they made the long journey through the corridors and elevators of wicked headquarters. Her wall had weakened again. Thomas was so pale, and his face was covered with beads of sweat, as if he were conscious on some level, fighting the drugs, aware that terrible things awaited him on the horizon. It hurt her heart to see it, and it scared her to know that she was next. Her stupid wall. What did it matter? It would be taken from her, along with all the memories anyway. They reached the basement level below the maze structure, walked through the warehouse with its rows and shelves of supplies for the gladers.
It was dark and cool down there, and Teresa felt goosebumps break out along her arms. She shivered and rubbed them down. Thomas bounced and jostled on the gurney as it hit cracks in the concrete floor, still a look of dread trying to break through the calm exterior of his sleeping face. They reached the shaft of the lift where the large metal cube rested. The box. It was only a couple of stories below the glade proper, but the glade occupants were manipulated into thinking the trip up was an impossibly long and arduous journey. It was all meant to stimulate an array of emotions and brain patterns, from confusion to disorientation to outright terror. A perfect start for those mapping Thomas's kill zone. Teresa knew that she'd be taking the trip herself tomorrow, with a note gripped in her hands. But at least she'd be in a comatose state, spared of that half hour in the moving darkness. Thomas would wake up in the box, completely alone. The two men wheeled Thomas next to the box. There was a horrible screech of metal against cement as one of them dragged a large stepladder to the side of the cube. A few moments of awkwardness as they climbed those steps together while holding Thomas again. Teresa could have helped, but refused, stubborn enough to stand there and watch, to shore up the cracks in her wall as much as she could. With a few grunts and curses, the men got Thomas to the edge at the top. His body was positioned in a way that his closed eyes faced Teresa one last time. Even though she knew he wouldn't hear it, she reached out and spoke to him inside her mind. We're doing the right thing, Thomas. See you on the other side. The men leaned over and lowered Thomas by the arms as far as they could. They dropped him the rest of the way. Teresa heard the thump of his body crumpling onto the cold steel of the floor inside. Her best friend. She turned around and walked away. From behind her came the distinct sound of metal sliding against metal, then a loud, echoing boom as the doors of the box slammed shut, sealing Thomas's fate, whatever it might be. Thirteen Years Earlier Chapter One Mark shivered with cold, something he hadn't done in a long time. He'd just woken up, the first traces of dawn leaking through the cracks of the stacked logs that made up the wall of his small hut. He almost never used his blanket. He was proud of it. It was made from the hide of a giant elk he'd killed himself just two months prior, but when he did use it, it was for the comfort of the blanket itself, not so much for warmth. They lived in a world ravaged by heat, after all. But maybe this was a sign of change. He actually felt a little chilled by the morning air seeping through those same cracks as the light. He pulled the furry hide up to his chin and turned to lie on his back, belting out a yawn for the ages. Alec was still asleep in the cot on the other side of the hut, all of four feet away, and snoring up a storm. The older man was gruff, a hardened former soldier who rarely smiled. And when he did, it usually had something to do with rumbling gas pains in his stomach. But Alec had a heart of gold. After more than a year together, fighting for survival along with Lana and Trina and the rest of them, 
Mark wasn't intimidated by the old bear anymore. Just to prove it, he leaned over and grabbed a shoe off the floor, then chucked it at the man. It hit him in the shoulder. Alec roared and sat up straight, years of military training snapping him instantly awake. What the? The soldier yelled. But Mark cut him off by throwing his other shoe at him, this time smacking his chest. You little piece of rat liver, Alec said coolly. He hadn't flinched or moved after the second attack, just stared Mark down with narrowed eyes, but there was a spark of humor behind them. I better hear a good reason why you chose to risk your life by waking me up like that. Hmm, Mark replied, rubbing his chin, as if he were thinking hard about it. Then he snapped his fingers. Oh, I got it. Mainly it was to stop the awful sounds coming out of you. Seriously, man, you need to sleep on your side or something. Snoring like that can't be healthy. You're going to choke on your own throat one of these days. Alec grumbled and grunted a few times, muttering almost indecipherable words as he scooted off his cot and got dressed. There was something about, Wish I'd never, and Better off, and Year of Hell. But not much more Mark could make out. The message was clear, though. Come on, Sergeant, Mark said, knowing he was about three seconds from going too far. Alec had been retired from the military for a long time and really, really, really hated it when Mark called him that. At the time of the sun flares, Alec had been a contract worker for the Defense Department. You never would have made it to this lovely abode if it hadn't been for us snatching you out of trouble every day. How about a hug and we make up? Alec pulled a shirt over his head, then peered down at Mark. The older man's bushy gray eyebrows bunched up in the middle as if they were hairy bugs trying to mate. I like you, kid. It'd be a shame to have to put you six feet under. He whacked Mark on the side of the head, the closest thing to affection the soldier ever showed. Soldier. It might have been a long time, but Mark still liked to think of the man that way. It made him feel better, safer, somehow. He smiled as Alex stomped out of their hut to tackle another day. A real smile. Something that was finally becoming a little more commonplace after the year of death and terror that had chased them to this place high up in the Appalachian Mountains of western North Carolina. He decided that no matter what, he'd push all the bad stuff from the past aside and have a good day. No matter what which meant he needed to bring Trina into the picture before another ten minutes ticked off the clock. He hurriedly got dressed and went out to look for her. He found her up by the stream, in one of the quiet places she went to read some of the books they'd salvaged from an old library they'd come across in their travels. That girl loved to read like no one else, and she was making up for the months they spent literally running for their lives, when books were few and far between. The digital kind were all long gone, as far as Mark could guess, wiped away when the computers and servers all fried. Trina read the old-school paper kind. The walk toward her had been as sobering as usual, each step weakening his resolve to have a good day. Looking at the pitiful network of tree houses and huts and underground burrows that made up the thriving metropolis in which they lived, all logs and twine and dried mud, everything leaning to the left or the right, did the trick. He couldn't stroll through the crowded alleys and paths of their settlement 
without it reminding him of the good days living in the big city, when life had been rich and full of promise, everything in the world within easy reach, ready for the taking. And he hadn't even realized it. He passed hordes of scrawny, dirty people who seemed on the edge of death. He didn't pity them so much as he hated knowing that he looked just like them. They had enough food, scavenged from the ruins, hunted in the woods, brought up from Asheville sometimes, but rationing was the name of the game, and everyone looked like they were one meal a day short. And you didn't live in the woods without getting a smear of dirt here and there, no matter how often you bathed up in the stream. The sky was blue with a hint of that burnt orange that had haunted the atmosphere since the devastating sun flares had struck without much warning. Over a year ago, and yet it still hung up there like a hazy curtain meant to remind them forever. Who knew if things would ever get back to normal? The coolness Mark had felt upon waking up seemed like a joke now. He was already sweating from the steadily rising temperature as the brutal sun rimmed the sparse tree line of the mountain peaks above. It wasn't all bad news. As he left the warrens of their camps and entered the woods, there were many promising signs, new trees growing, old trees recovering, squirrels dashing through the blackened pine needles, green sprouts and buds all around. He even saw something that looked like an orange flower in the distance. He was half tempted to go pick it for Trina, but he knew she'd scold him within an inch of his life if he dared impede the progress of the forest. Maybe his day would be good after all. They'd survived the worst natural disaster in known human history. Maybe the corner had been turned. He was breathing heavily from the effort of the hike up the mountain face when he reached the spot where Trina loved to go for escape, especially in the mornings when the odds of finding someone else up there were slim. He stopped and looked at her from behind a tree, knowing she'd heard him approach, but glad she was pretending she hadn't. Man, she was pretty. Leaning back against a huge granite boulder that seemed as if it had been placed there by a decorating giant, she held a thick book in her lap. She turned a page, her green eyes following the words. She was wearing a black T-shirt and a pair of worn jeans, sneakers that looked a hundred years old. Her short, blonde hair shifted in the wind, and she appeared the very definition of peace and comfort. Like she belonged in the world that had existed before everything was scorched. Mark had always felt like she was his as a simple matter of the situation. Pretty much everyone else she'd ever known had died. He was a scrap left over for her to take, the alternative to being forever alone. But he gladly played his part, even considered himself lucky. He didn't know what he'd do without her. This book would be so much better if I didn't have some creepy guy stalking me while I tried to read it. Trina spoke without the slightest hint of a smile. She flipped another page and continued to read. It's just me, he said. Half of what he said around her still came out sounding dumb. He stepped from behind the tree. She laughed and finally looked up at him. It's about time you got here. I was just about ready to start talking to myself. I've been reading since before dawn. He walked over and plopped down on the ground beside her. They hugged, tight and warm and full of the promise he'd made upon waking up. He pulled back and looked at her, 
not caring about the goofy grin that was most likely plastered across his face. You know what? What? she asked. Today is going to be a perfect, perfect day. Trina smiled, and the waters of the stream continued to rush by, as if his words meant nothing. Chapter 2 I haven't had a perfect day since I turned sixteen, Trina said as she thumbed down the corner of her page and placed the book by her side. Three days later and you and I were running for our lives through a tunnel that was hotter than the sun. Good times, Mark mused as he got more comfortable. He leaned up against the same boulder, crossed his legs in front of him. Good times. Trina gave him a sideways glance. My birthday party or the sun flares? Neither. You liked that idiot John Stidham at your party, remember? A guilty look flashed across her face. Um, yeah. Seems like that was about 3,000 years ago. It took half the world being wiped out for you to finally notice me. Mark smiled, but it felt empty. The truth was kind of depressing, even to joke about, and a dark cloud was forming over his head. Let's change the subject. I vote for that. She closed her eyes and leaned her head against the stone. I don't want to think about that stuff for one more second. Mark nodded even though she couldn't see. He'd suddenly lost any desire to talk, and his plans for a perfect day washed away with the stream. The memories. They never let him go, not even for a half hour. They always had to rush back in, bringing all the horror. You okay? Trina asked. She reached out and grabbed his hand, but Mark pulled it away, knowing it was all sweaty. Yeah, I'm fine. I just wish we could go one day without something taking us back. I could be perfectly happy in this place if we could just forget. Things are getting better. We just need to... let it go. He almost shouted the last part, but he had no idea where his anger was directed. He just hated the things in his head. The images, the sounds, the smells. We will, Mark. We will. She reached for him again, and this time he took her hand. We better get back down there. He always did this. When the memories came, he always slipped into business mode. Take care of business and work and stop using your brain. It was the only thing that helped. I'm sure Alec and Lana have about forty jobs for us. That have to be done today, Trina added. Today, or the world will end. She smiled, and that helped lighten things up. At least a little. You can read more of your boring book later. He climbed to his feet, pulling her up along with him. Then they set off down the mountain path, heading for the makeshift village they called home. The smells hit Mark first. It was always that way when going to the central shack. Rotting undergrowth, cooking meat, pine sap, all laced with that scent of burning that defined the world after the sun flares. Not unpleasant, really, just haunting. He and Trina wound their way past the crooked and seemingly slapped-together buildings of the settlement. Most of the buildings on this side of the camp had been put up in the early months, before they'd found people who'd been architects and contractors and put them in charge. 
huts made of tree trunks and mud and bristles of pine needles, empty gaps for windows and oddly shaped doorways. In some spots there were nothing but holes in the ground, the bottom lined with plastic sheets, a few logs lashed together to cover it when the rains came. It was a far cry from the towering skyscrapers and concrete landscape of where he'd grown up. Alec greeted Mark and Trina with a grunt when they walked through the lopsided doorway in the central shack's log structure. Before they could say hello, Lana came marching briskly up to them. A stout woman with black hair that was always pulled tightly into a bun, she'd been a nurse in the army and was younger than Alec, but older than Mark's parents. She and Alec had been together when Mark had met them in the tunnels below New York City. Back then, they'd both worked for the Defense Department. Alec was her boss. They'd been on their way to a meeting of some sort that day, before everything changed. And where have you two been? Lana asked when she came to a stop just a few inches from Mark's face. We were supposed to start at dawn today, head out to the Southern Valley and scout for another branch location. A few more weeks of this overcrowding and I might get snippy. Good morning, Mark said in response. You seem chipper today. She smiled at that. Mark had known she would. I do tend to get straight to business sometimes, don't I? Though I have a lot of wiggle room before I get as grumpy as Alec. The Sarge? Yeah, you're right. On cue, the old bear grunted. Sorry about being late, Trina said. I'd make up a great excuse, but honesty's the best policy. Mark made me go up to the stream and we... you know. It took a lot to surprise Mark these days, even more to make him blush, but Trina had the ability to do both. He stammered as Lana rolled her eyes. Oh, spare me, Lana waved and added. Now go grab some breakfast if you haven't already and let's get packed and marching. I want to be back within a week. A week out in the wilderness, seeing new things, getting some fresher air. It all sounded great to Mark, lifting his spirits out of the hole into which they'd fallen earlier. He swore to keep his mind on the present while they traveled and just try to enjoy the hike. Have you seen Darnell and the Toad? Trina asked. What about Misty? The Three Stooges? Alec asked, followed by a bark of a laugh. The man thought the weirdest things were funny. At least they remembered the plan. Already eaten, gone to pack. Should be back in a jiffy. Mark and Trina were halfway through their pancakes and deer sausage when they heard the familiar sound of the other three friends they'd picked up in the tunnels of New York. Take that off your head, came a whiny voice, right before a teenage boy appeared at the door with a pair of underwear pulled over his brown hair like a hat. Darnell. Mark was convinced the kid had never taken a thing seriously in his entire life. Even when the son had been trying to boil him alive a year past, he seemed to be ready with a joke. But I like it, he was saying as he entered the shack. Helps keep my hair in place and protects me from the elements. Two for the price of one. A girl walked in after him, tall and thin with long red hair, just a little younger than Mark. They called her Misty, though she'd never told them whether that was her real name. She was looking at Darnell with an expression of half disgust and half amusement. The toad, short and squat, as his nickname implied, bounded in and pushed his way past her, grabbing for the undies atop Darnell's head. Give me those, he shouted, leaping as he reached. 
He was the shortest 19-year-old Mark had ever seen, but thick as an oak tree, all muscle and sinew and veins, which for some reason made the others think it was okay to pick on him, because they all knew he could beat the crap out of them if he really wanted to. But the toad liked being the center of attention, and Darnell liked being goofy and annoying. Why would you even want those nasty things on your head? Misty asked. You do realize where that's been, right? Covering up the toad's nether regions. Excellent point, Darnell replied with his own look of feigned disgust, just as the toad finally was able to snatch the underwear off his head. Very poor judgment on my part, Darnell shrugged. Seemed funny at the time. The toad was stuffing his recaptured possession into his backpack. Well, I get the last laugh. I haven't washed those suckers in at least two weeks. He started up with that laugh, a noise that made Mark think of a dog fighting over a piece of meat. Whenever the toad let it out, every other person in the room couldn't help but join in, and the ice officially melted. Mark still couldn't tell if he was laughing at the subject matter or just at the sounds coming out of the toad. Either way, such moments were few and far between, and it felt good to laugh, as it did to see Trina's face light up. Even Alec and Lana were chuckling, which made Mark think maybe it was going to be a perfect day after all. But then their laughter was cut off by a strange sound, something Mark hadn't heard in over a year and hadn't expected to hear ever again. The sound of engines in the sky. Chapter 3 It was a rumbling, cranking noise that shook the shack from top to bottom. Puffs of dust shot between the hastily stacked and mortared logs. A coughing roar swept past just overhead. Mark covered his ears until the sound faded enough that the shack stopped shaking. Alec was already on his feet and heading for the door before anyone else could even process the turn of events. Lana was quickly at his heels, with everyone else following. No one said a word until they were all outside, the bright morning sun beating down. Mark squinted, hand shielding the glare, as he searched the sky for the source of the noise. It's a berg, the toad announced needlessly. What the— It was the first time Mark had seen one of the enormous airships since the sun flares happened, and the sight of it was jolting. He couldn't think of any reason a berg, one that had survived the disaster— would have to come flying through the mountains. But there it was, big and shiny and round, blue thrusters burning hot and loud as it lowered toward the middle of the settlement. What's it doing here? Trina asked as their little group jogged through the cramped alleys of the village, following the path of the berg. They've always left supplies in the bigger settlements, like Asheville. Maybe, Misty began, maybe they're rescuing us or something, taking us somewhere else. No way, Darnell scoffed. They would have done that a long time ago. Mark didn't say anything as he ran along at the back of the group, still a bit stunned by the sudden appearance of the huge berg. The others kept referencing some mysterious they, even though no one knew who they were. There'd been signs and rumors that some kind of central government was organizing itself, but no news that was even close to reliable, and certainly no official contact yet. It was true that supplies and food had been brought to the camps around Asheville, and the people there usually shared with the outlying settlements. The berg stopped up ahead, 
its blue thrusters pointing downward now as it hovered fifty feet or so above the town square, a roughly square-shaped area they'd left bare when building the settlement. The group picked up their pace and arrived in the square to find that a crowd had already gathered, the people gawking up at the flying machine as if it were a mythical beast. With its roar and its dazzling display of blue light, it almost seemed so. Especially after such a long time since they'd seen any signs of advanced technology. Most of the crowd had gathered in the center of the square, their faces pictures of expectation and excitement. Like they'd all jumped to the same conclusion as Misty, that the Berg was here for rescue, or at least some spot of good news. Mark was wary, though. After the year he'd just been through, he'd been taught many times over to never get his hopes up. Trina pulled on his sleeve, then leaned in to talk to him. What's it doing? There's not enough room here for it to land. I don't know. There aren't any markings or anything to say whose berg it is or where it came from. Alec was close and somehow overheard their conversation over the burning snarl of the thrusters, probably with his super-powered soldier hearing. They say the ones that drop off supplies in Asheville have PFC painted in big letters on the side. Post Flares Coalition. He was practically shouting. Seems strange that this one has nothing on it. Mark shrugged back at him, not sure Alec's information really meant anything. He realized he was sort of in a daze. He looked back up, wondered who could possibly be inside the vessel and what their purpose might be. Trina squeezed his hand and he squeezed hers back. They were both sweating. Maybe it's God inside, the toad said in a high-pitched voice. It always came out that way when he shouted. Come to say he's sorry for all the sunflare business. Out of the corner of his eye, Mark noticed Darnell taking in a breath, his mouth opening, probably to say something smart and funny back at the toad. But the action was cut off by a loud wrenching sound from above, followed by the groan and squeal of hydraulics. Mark watched in fascination as a large, square-shaped hatch on the bottom of the berg began to open pivoting on hinges to lower like a ramp. It was dark inside, and little wisps of mist came swirling out as the gap grew wider. Gasps and shouts rippled throughout the crowd, hands raised and fingers pointed upward. Mark tore his gaze from the berg for a moment to take everything in, struck by the sense of awe surrounding him. They'd become a desperate, desperate people, living each day with the weighty feeling that the next one could be their last. And here they all were, looking toward the sky as if the toad's joke had been more than that. There was a longing in many of the eyes he saw, like people truly thought they were being saved by some divine power. It made Mark feel a little sick. A fresh wave of gasps spilled through the square, and Mark snapped his head to look up again. Five people had emerged from the darkness of the berg, dressed in outfits that sent a chill racing down Mark's spinal cord green and rubbery and bulky, one-piece suits that covered the strangers from head to toe. The suits had clear visors in the headpiece through which the wearers could see, but the glare and distance made it impossible for Mark to make out their faces. They stepped carefully in big black boots pulled up over the green material until the five of them lined the outer edge of the lowered hatch door, their tense body language showing the effort it took to maintain balance. 
Each of them held a black tube in their hands, as if it were a gun. But the tubes didn't look like any guns Mark had ever seen. They were thin and long, with an attachment at the end that made them resemble plumbing parts someone had ripped out of an industrial pump. And once the strangers settled into their positions, they held up the tube-like things and aimed them directly at the people below. Mark realized that Alec was screaming at the top of his lungs, pushing and shoving people to move them away. Everything around them was erupting in chaos, shouts and panic, yet Mark had fallen into a trance, watching the strangers with their odd outfits and their menacing weapons come out of the berg as everyone else in the crowd finally woke up to the fact that these people weren't there to save anyone. What had happened to the Mark who could act fast, who had survived the year of hell after the flares ravaged the earth? He was still frozen, watching as the first shot was fired from above. A blur of movement, a quick flash of something dark and small and fast bursting from one of those tubes. Mark's eyes followed the trajectory. He heard a sickening thunk, his head twisting to the side just in time to see that Darnell had a five-inch-long dart sticking out of his shoulder, its thin metal shaft planted deep within the muscle. Blood trickled down from the wound. The boy made a strange grunt as he collapsed to the ground. That finally snapped Mark out of it. Chapter 4 Screams tore through the air as panicked people fled in every direction. Mark bent down, grabbing Darnell by hooking his elbows under the boy's arms. The sound of flying darts cutting through the air to his left and right, finding targets, urged him to hurry, erasing any other thoughts from his mind. Mark pulled on Darnell, dragging his body along the ground. Trina had fallen, but Lana was there, helping her up. Both of them ran over to help, each grabbing one of Darnell's feet. With synchronized grunts, they hefted him up and moved away from the square, away from the open space. It was a miracle no one else in their little group had been struck by a dart. Swish, swish, swish. Thunk, thunk, thunk. Screams and bodies falling. The projectiles kept coming, landing all around them, and Mark and Trina and Lana shuffled as quickly as they could, awkwardly carrying Darnell between them. They passed behind a group of trees. Mark heard a few hard thunks as darts buried themselves in the branches and trunks. Then they were in the open again. They hurried across a small clearing and into an alley between several haphazardly built log cabins. There were people everywhere, knocking frantically on doors, jumping through open windows. Then Mark heard the roar of the thrusters and a warm wind blew across his face. The roar grew louder, the wind stronger. He looked up, following the noise, to see that the berg had shifted position, pursuing the fleeing crowds. He saw the toad and Misty, they were urging people to hurry, their shouts lost in the berg's blast. Mark didn't know what to do. Finding shelter was the best bet, but there were too many people trying to do the same thing, and joining the chaos with Darnell in tow would only get them trampled. The berg stopped again, and once more the strangers in their odd suits lifted their weapons and opened fire. Swish, swish, swish. A dart grazed Mark's shirt and hit the ground. Someone stepped on it, driving it deeper. Another dart hit home in the neck of a man just as he was running past. 
he screamed and dove forward as blood spurted from the wound. When he landed, he lay still, and three people tripped over him. Mark only realized that he'd stopped, appalled by what was happening around him, when Lana yelled at him to keep moving. The shooters above them had obviously improved their aim. The darts were hitting people left and right, and the air was filled with screams of pain and terror. Mark felt utterly helpless. There was no way to shield himself from the barrage. All he could do was lamely try to outrun a flying machine, an impossible task. Where was Alec? The tough guy with all the battle instincts. Where had he run off to? Mark kept moving, yanking Darnell's body along, forcing Trina and Lana to match his speed. The Toad and Misty ran alongside them, trying to help without getting in the way. Darts continued to rain down from above, more screams, more falling bodies. Mark turned a corner and lurched down the alley that led back to the shack, sticking close to the building on his right for a partial shield. Not as many people had come this way, and there were fewer darts to dodge. The little group hobbled as fast as they could with their unconscious friend. The structures were built practically on top of each other in this section of the settlement, and there was no room to cut through and escape into the surrounding woods of the mountains. We're almost to the shack, Trina yelled. Hurry, before the berg is back on top of us. Mark twisted his body around so that he was facing front, gripping Darnell by his shirt behind him. Shuffling backward had strained his leg muscles to the max, and they burned with heat and were beginning to cramp. There was nothing in their way now to slow them down, so Mark sped up, Lana and Trina keeping pace, each holding one of Darnell's legs. The Toad and Misty squeezed in and each grabbed an arm, taking some of the load. They slipped through the narrow paths and alleys, over jutting roots and hard-packed dirt, turning left and then right and then left again. The roar of the berg was coming from their right, muted by the dwellings and rows of trees in between. Mark finally turned a corner and saw the shack across a small clearing. He moved to make a final sprint for it, just as a horde of fleeing residents swarmed in from the other side, frantic and wild, scattering in all directions, heading for every door in sight. He froze as the berg rushed in overhead, closer to the ground than Mark had seen it before. There were only three people standing on the hatch door of the craft now, but they opened fire as soon as the berg settled into a hovering position. Little silver streaks shot through the air, rained down on the people surging into the clearing. Every projectile seemed to find its mark, slamming into the necks and arms of men and women and children. They screamed and crumpled to the ground almost instantly, others tripping over their bodies in the mad rush for cover. Mark and his little group hugged the side of the closest building and laid Darnell on the ground. Pain and weariness slogged through Mark's arms and legs, making him want to collapse beside their unconscious friend. We should have just left him back there, Trina said, hands on knees, struggling to catch her breath. He slowed us down, and he's still right in the thick of things anyway. Dead for all we know, the toad's voice croaked. Mark looked sharply at him, but the man was probably right. They might have jeopardized their own lives to save someone who had no chance in the first place. What's happening now? Lana asked as she moved up to the corner of the building to look around at the clearing. She glanced back at them over her shoulder. They're just picking people off, left and right. Why are they using darts instead of bullets? Makes no sense, Mark replied. Can't we do something? Trina said, 
her body trembling with what looked like frustration more than fear. Why are we letting these people do this? Mark stepped up to Lana and peeked out with her. Bodies littered the clearing now, impaled darts sticking up toward the sky like a miniature forest. Still, the berg hovered overhead, its thrusters raging with blue heat. Where are our security guys? Mark whispered to no one in particular. They take the day off or something? No one answered, but movement over at the door of the shack caught Mark's attention, and he sighed in relief. It was Alec, waving frantically, urging them to join him. The man held what looked like two huge rifles with grappling hooks on the ends attached to big coils of rope. Ever the soldier, even after all these years, the man had a plan, and he needed help. He was going to fight back against these monsters. And so was Mark. Mark pulled back from the wall and looked around. He saw a piece of wood on the other side of the alley. Without telling the others what he was doing, he ran over to grab it, then spread it out into the clearing, heading straight for the shack and for Alec, using the wood as a shield. Mark didn't need to look up. He could hear the distinct swoosh of darts being shot at him, heard the solid thunk of one of them hitting the wood. He ran on. Chapter 5 Mark varied his steps, speeding up and slowing down, dodging to the left and right, making his way toward Alec. Darts thunked into the ground around his feet. A second one hit his makeshift shield. As he ran through the open space, Alec, still clutching those rifles, made a beeline for the middle of the clearing. The two of them almost crashed into each other directly under the berg, and Mark immediately leaned in to try to protect both of them with his shield. Alec's eyes burned with intensity and purpose. Gray hair or not, he suddenly looked twenty years younger. We've got to hurry, he yelled, before that thing decides to take off. The thrusters burned overhead, and the darts continued to slam into people all around them. The screams were awful. What do I do? Mark shouted. The now familiar blend of adrenaline and terror surged through him as he awaited his friend's instructions. You cover me with this! Alec shifted his rifles under one arm and pulled a pistol, a dull black one that Mark had never seen before, out of the back of his pants. There was no time to hesitate. Mark took the gun with his free hand, and by the weight of the weapon he knew it was loaded. A dart slammed into the wood as he cocked the pistol, then another one. The strangers on the berg had taken notice of the two people scheming in the middle of the clearing. More darts thumped into the ground like a sudden hailstorm. Fire away, boy, Alec growled. And aim well, because you've only got twelve bullets. Don't miss. Now! With that, Alec spun and ran to a spot about ten feet away. Mark pointed the gun at the people on the hatch door of the berg and fired off two quick shots, knowing he needed to get their attention immediately so they wouldn't notice Alec. The three green suits backed up and dropped to their knees, hunching down to get the metal ramp between them and the shooter. One of them turned and clambered to get back into the ship. Mark tossed the wood shield to the side. He clutched the gun with both hands, steadied himself, and concentrated. A head peeked over the edge of the hatch above, and Mark quickly set it in his sights, fired a shot. His hands jumped with the recoil, but he saw the red mist, a spray of blood in the air. A body tumbled off the ramp, and crashed into a group of three people below. 
Fresh waves of screams erupted from all directions as people saw what was happening. An arm stretched around the burg door above, holding the tube weapon out to take random shots. Mark fired, heard a sharp ping as the bullet hit the metal contraption, then watched the weapon fall to the ground. A woman scooped it up and started examining it, trying to figure out how to use it to fight back. That could only help. Mark risked a quick glance back at Alec. He was holding up the grappling hook weapon as if he were a seaman about to harpoon a whale. A pop sounded and suddenly the hook was flying toward the berg, the rope spinning out behind it like a trail of smoke. The hook clanged against one of the hydraulic shafts keeping the hatch door open and twisted around it, catching hold. Alec pulled the rope taut. Throw me the gun, the soldier yelled at him. Mark looked up to make sure no one had reappeared from inside to shoot another volley of darts. Then he sprinted to Alec, handed him the pistol. The man had barely taken it when Mark heard a click, and Alec was shooting into the sky, his device pulling him up the rope, toward the hovering berg. He held on to the grappling hook weapon with one hand and pointed the pistol above him with the other. As soon as he cleared the edge of the hatch door, three shots rang out in quick succession. Mark watched as the man climbed onto the ramp, his feet the last things to disappear from sight. A few seconds later, another green-suited body was launched over the edge, slamming onto empty dirt. The other hook! Alec screamed down at him. Hurry! Before more come out or they take off! He didn't wait for a reply before turning to face the main body of the berg. Mark's heart raced, almost hurting as it thumped rapidly against his ribs. He looked around, spotted the other hulking device on the ground where Alec had dropped it. Mark picked it up, examined it, felt a rush of panic that he wouldn't know how to use the stupid thing. Just aim it up here, Alec shouted down. If it doesn't catch, I'll tie it on myself. Hurry! Mark held it like a rifle and pointed it directly toward the middle of the hatch door. He pulled the trigger. The recoil was strong, but he leaned into it this time, felt the bump of pain on his shoulder. The hook and trailing rope shot toward the berg, up and over the edge of the open hatch. It clanged and slipped backward, but Alec grabbed it just in time. Mark watched as Alec hurried to one of the hydraulic shafts and wrapped the hook tightly around it. Okay, Alec yelled. Push the green retractor butt! He was cut off when the Berg's engines roared to a higher pitch, and the vehicle vaulted into the air. Mark gripped the end of the grappling device just as it pulled him off his feet, yanking him skyward. He heard Trina shout at him from below, but the ground fell away, the people growing smaller by the second. Fear suffused Mark as he held on, squeezing his fingers so tightly they turned bone white. Looking down made his head spin and his stomach lurch, so he forced his gaze to the hatch door. Alec was just scrambling back over the edge of the ramp door. He'd almost been sent sailing to his death. He kicked and pulled himself to safety, using the same rope to which Mark clung for dear life. Then he flopped onto his stomach and peered down at Mark with wide eyes. Find the green button, Mark, he yelled. Push it. The air was rushing around Mark's body, the wind combined with the power of the thrusters. The berg was ascending, now at least two hundred feet off the ground, and moving forward, heading for the trees. They'd clip Mark within seconds and either tear him to pieces or rip him from the rope. He held on as he frantically searched the device for the button. There it was, 
a few inches down from the trigger that had shot out the hook and rope. He hated to let go, even for a second, but he focused all his strength into his right hand, clenching his fingers even tighter, then went for it with his left. His entire body flopped back and forth in the air, swaying against the wind and jolting at every bump of the berg. The tops of the pines and oaks rushed in. He couldn't get enough control to push the button. Suddenly there was a clank and a clanging and the squeal of metal above him, and he looked up. The hatch door was closing. Chapter 6 Hurry! Alec screamed at him from above. Mark was just about to try for the button again when they reached the trees. He slapped his left hand back on the weapon and gripped it as hard as he could. He curled into a ball and squeezed his eyes shut. The top branches of the tallest pine slammed into his body as the berg swung him into it. Needles poked his skin, and the spiky points of tree limbs snagged his clothes and scratched his face. They were like skeleton hands trying to claw him free, pull him to his death. Every inch of his body seemed scraped by something. But he made it through, the berg's momentum and the rope jerking him from the tree's clutches. He relaxed his legs, then kicked out wildly as the ship swung around, sending him flying in a huge arc. The hatch door was halfway closed, and Alec leaned out and over, trying to pull the rope up, his face almost purple from yelling. His words were lost in the noise of it all. Mark's stomach was churning, but he knew he had only one more chance. He let go of the device with his left hand, felt along the side until he found the trigger again, fingered his way to where he knew the green button to be. His peripheral vision showed more trees coming his way, the berg dipping lower now, so that there'd be no chance of his making it through. He found the button, pressed it, but his fingers slipped. Branches reached for him, and he tried again, pressing the device against his body for leverage, then pushing the button hard. It clicked in, and he shot upward just as his body swung into the thick foliage of the trees. He barreled through them, vaulting toward the hatch above, branches smacking him in the face. There was a whirring sound as the rope retracted into the device, yanking him to Alec, who had a hand outstretched. The metal slab of the door was only two or three feet from ceiling shut. Mark let go of the device just before he hit the sharp corner of the slowly rising hatch door, leaping to catch Alec's hand and grab at the metal with his other. He lost his grip, but Alec held him firmly, pulling him head first through the narrowing gap. It was a tight fit, and Mark had to squirm and kick, but he finally squeezed through just in time, though he had to yank the sole of his shoe loose from the closing jaws of the hatch. It slammed shut with a thunderous boom that echoed off the dark walls of the berg's interior. It was cool inside, and once the echo faded, the only thing Mark could hear was the sound of his own heavy breathing. The darkness was complete, at least for his unadjusted eyes, after being out in the blinding sun. He sensed Alec nearby, also sucking in air to catch his breath. Every last inch of Mark's body ached, and he felt blood oozing in several spots. The berg had come to a stop, humming as it hovered in place. I can't believe we just did that, Mark said, his voice echoing. But why isn't there an army of people waiting here to take care of us, throw us overboard? 
Shoot us with those darts. Alec let out a heavy sigh. I don't know. They might have a skeleton crew, but I think there's at least one guy in there waiting on us. He could be aiming one of those dart guns at my head right now. Ah! Alec spat. It's my guess those guys were nobodies, sent in to do the job professionals should have done. Maybe we cleaned out their crew. Everyone except a pilot, at least. Or maybe there are ten guys with guns waiting outside this room, Mark muttered. Well, one of those two scenarios anyway, Alec answered. Come on, let's go. The soldier shuffled forward. Mark could only track his movement from the sounds he made. It seemed like he was crawling. But, Mark began, then realized he had nothing to say. What else were they going to do? Sit there and play blind hopscotch until someone came out to greet them with cookies and milk? He got on his hands and knees, wincing from the beating he just took, and followed his friend. A faint light source appeared a few feet ahead, and as they got closer, their surroundings began to come into focus a bit. They seemed to be in some sort of storage room, with shelves along all the walls and straps or chain-link doors to keep everything in place. But at least half of the shelves were empty. The light was a glowing panel above a squat metal door with bolts lining its edges. I wonder if they locked us in, Alex said as he finally stood. He walked over to the door and tried the handle. Sure enough, it wouldn't budge. Mark was relieved to stand up. The floor was hard against his knees, but his muscles complained as he pulled himself to his feet. It had been a while since he'd exerted so much energy, and getting the tar beaten out of him by a bunch of trees was an absolute first. What's going on, anyway? he asked. What does anyone want with our little nothing of a village, and shooting us with darts? I mean, what was that? I wish I knew. Alec pulled at the door harder, yanking on the handle, still to no avail. But those people sure dropped like flies once those suckers stuck in them. He turned away from the door with a frustrated look, then put his hands on his hips like an old lady. Dropped like flies, Mark repeated quietly. One of them happened to be Darnell. You think he's okay? Alec shot him a look that said, You're smarter than that, and Mark knew it was true. His heart sank a little. Everything had been such a mad rush since the Berg had arrived that it registered only now. Darnell was probably dead. Why are we up here? Mark asked. Alec pointed a finger at him. Because it's what you do when someone comes to your house and attacks your people. You fight back. I'm not going to let those bloodsuckers get away with that crap. Mark thought about Darnell, about all those people hurt and confused, and he realized that Alec was right. Okay, I'm in. So what do we do? First we've got to get this blasted door open. Help me look, see if we can find something to make that happen. Mark wandered around the room, though the light was pitiful. Why are we just hovering right now anyway? You sure like to ask questions I got no way of answering. Just peel those eyeballs and get searching. Okay, okay. At first, Mark only saw junk and more junk. Spare parts, tools, boxes full of supplies. Everything from soap to toilet paper. Then he saw something strapped against the wall that he knew Alec would like. A sledgehammer. Hey, over here, 
Mark shouted. He lifted the thing out of the straps, weighing it in his hands. It's nice and heavy. Perfect for you to beat the door down with your gargantuan soldier arms. Not as strong as they used to be. The old bear grinned, the faint light glinting in his eyes as he took the wooden shaft of the hammer. He marched over to the sealed door and started whacking at it. The thing had no chance, but Mark figured it might take a good minute or two of work to break it down. He just hoped that when it opened, there wasn't an army of green-suited thugs waiting on the other side. Clang! 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 Alec kept at it, the dents getting bigger. Mark poked around more, hoping to find some kind of weapon for when that door finally came open. At least Alec had a huge sledgehammer to swing. Something in the darkest corner of the room caught Mark's eye, a section full of hard-cased boxes maybe two feet long and a foot high and deep that looked like they were made to protect something important. Some were open and empty. Others were sealed. He hurried over and strained his eyes to see, but it was too dark to make anything out. He picked up one of the sealed boxes. It was lighter than he would have guessed, and moved back into the light, then set the box down on the metal grate of the floor. Leaning over, he finally got a good look. There was a warning symbol plastered across the top, the kind that indicated the contents were some sort of biohazard. A label below the symbol said, Virus VC321XB47, highly contagious, 24 darts, extreme caution. Mark suddenly wished he hadn't touched the thing. Chapter 7 Mark straightened up and moved a few feet away. He couldn't believe he'd handled the box. He might even have opened it if he hadn't brought it into the light first. For all he knew, those darts had broken during the flight of the berg. Maybe the virus had even seeped through the small cracks in the container. Not to mention there were open boxes on the shelves, though they appeared to be empty. He wiped his hands on his pants, stepped away even farther. Clang! 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 Alex stopped, breathing heavily. One or two more whacks, and I think this baby will bust open. We need to be ready. Find any weapons? Mark felt sick, as if microscopic bugs had leapt from the box to his skin and were burrowing their way to his blood even as he stood there. No, just a box holding darts filled with a deadly virus. Maybe we can throw some at them. It was meant as a joke, but somehow made him feel even worse as the words came out. What? A virus? Alec repeated in a doubtful tone. He walked over and peered down at the box on the floor. I'll be. So that's what they were shooting at us. Who are these people? Mark panicked. What if they're waiting on the other side of that door, he asked, waiting to put darts in our necks? What are we even doing up here? He could hear the rising alarm in his own voice and was ashamed of it. Calm down, boy. We've been in a lot tougher situations than this, Alec answered. Just find something, anything, you can get your hands on and bang away at somebody's head if they come charging. You want to let these people get away with dart-gunning some of our friends? We're up here now. There's no turning back. The fight in Alec's voice made Mark feel better, more sure of himself. Okay, I'll look. Hurry! 
Mark had seen a wrench strapped to the wall near the sledgehammer. He ran over and grabbed it. He'd been hoping a real weapon might reveal itself, but the foot-long piece of metal would have to do. Alec had the sledgehammer in his hands, ready to slam it against the beaten-up handle of the door. You're right that they might fire at us as soon as this pops open. Let's not charge through like a couple of dumb gorillas. Get over there and wait for my command. Mark did as he was told, pressing his back against the wall on the other side of the door, holding the wrench tightly. I'm ready. Fear pulsed within him. All right, then. Alec lifted the sledgehammer high, then brought it crashing down against the handle. It took two more hits for the whole thing to finally break off with a crunch. One more swing, and the door swung open, shooting outward and slamming into the wall on the other side. Almost immediately, three darts cut through the air. Swoosh, 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 clanging off the far wall. Then there was the sound of something clattering against the floor, followed by footsteps running away. Just one person. Alec held up a hand as if he thought Mark would go charging after the guy. Then he peeked around the edge of the doorframe. All clear, and the rat must have run out of darts because he threw his gun on the ground. I'm beginning to think this burg only has a few people on it. Come on, let's go catch that weasel. Alec leaned out into the open a bit farther, sweeping his gaze back and forth one last time. Then he moved into the dimly lit area beyond. Mark took a deep breath and followed him into the hallway, kicking the dart gun away in disgust. As it clattered across the room and hit a wall, he pictured Darnell, that dart sticking straight out of his shoulder. Mark wished he had more than a wrench in his hands. Alec held the sledgehammer in both fists, cocked at an angle as he crept through the narrow hallway. It was slightly curved, as if it followed the circular outer edge of the craft. Glowing panels like the one they'd seen in the hatch room were spaced about ten feet apart, providing the only light. They passed several doors, but each was locked when Alec tried them. Mark battled his nerves as they walked, trying to be ready if anything jumped out at him. He was just about to ask Alec about the layout of a berg, he remembered that the man had once been a pilot, when he heard a door slam up ahead, then more footsteps. Go! Alec yelled. Mark's heart lurched and he broke into a sprint, following Alec down the curved passage. Mark could only catch a glimpse of a running shadow up ahead, but it looked like someone in one of the green suits they'd seen earlier, without the headgear. The person yelled something, but the words were indecipherable as they echoed off the walls of the hallway. It was definitely a man, most likely the one who'd shot at them. Engines revved all around them, and the berg jerked into motion, blasting forward in a rush of power. Mark lost his balance and crashed into a wall, bounced off, then tripped over Alec, who was sprawled on the floor. The two of them scrambled to their feet, grabbed their weapons. Cockpit's right up there, Alec yelled. Hurry! He didn't wait for a reply. The man bounded down the passage and Mark followed. They reached an open area with chairs and a table, just as the man they were chasing disappeared through a round hatch into what had to be the cockpit. He started pulling the door closed, but Alec threw the sledgehammer just in time. It hit the wall next to the hatch and fell to the floor blocking the door from closing. Mark hadn't stopped. He ran past Alec and reached the cockpit first, leaning inside without letting himself stop to think about it. 
He caught a quick glance of two pilot chairs, windows above wide panels full of instruments and dials, and screens flashing information. One of the chairs was occupied by a woman frantically pressing buttons as the berg shot forward, trees disappearing below them at an increasing rate. Mark had barely taken it all in when someone tackled him from the right, both of their bodies crashing to the floor. Mark's breath was knocked out of him as his attacker tried to pin him down. Then the man was whacked in the shoulder by Alex's sledgehammer and was sent flying. He landed with a grunt of pain, and Mark scrambled to his feet, struggling to suck air into his lungs. Alec grabbed the man by his green shirt and pulled him up close to his face. What's going on here? the former soldier shouted, spit flying. The pilot continued to work the controls, ignoring the chaotic scene behind her. Mark stepped up to her, not sure what to do. He steadied himself and put all the authority he could into his voice. Stop this thing right now. Turn it back. Take us home. She acted like she hadn't heard him. Talk to me, Alec was yelling at his man. We're nothing, the guy said through a pitiful moan. We're just sent to do their dirty work. Sent? Alec repeated. Who sent you? I can't tell you. Mark was listening to what was going on across the room. He was annoyed that the pilot had ignored his directions. I said to stop this thing. Now! He held up his wrench, but felt completely ridiculous. Just following orders, son, the lady replied. Not a hint of emotion in her voice. Mark was searching for a comeback when the sound of Alec punching the man on the floor tore his attention away. Who sent you? Alec repeated. What was in those darts you shot at us? Some kind of virus? I don't know, the man said through a whimper. Please, please don't hurt me. Mark's attention was fully on the man in the green suit now, and a sudden gray tinge washed over the man's face, as if he'd been possessed by some ghostly presence. Do it, he said almost robotically. Take her down. What? Alec said. What is this? The pilot turned her head to face Mark, who stared back, perplexed. She had the same flat, dead-looking eyes as the green suit guy. Just following orders. She reached out and pushed a lever, slamming it forward until it couldn't go any farther. The entire berg lurched and plunged toward the ground, the windows of the cockpit suddenly full of greenery. Mark flew off the floor and smashed into the control panels. Something huge shattered, and the roar of engines filled his ears. There was a loud crash, followed by an explosion. The berg jerked to a stop, and something hard came flying across the room and smacked Mark in the head. He felt the pain and closed his eyes before the blood could ooze into his vision. And then he slowly faded from consciousness as he heard Alec calling his name down a dark, endless tunnel. A tunnel. How appropriate, he thought, before he blacked out completely. That was where it had started, after all. Chapter 8 Mark leans his head back against the seat of the subtrans as it speeds along. He closes his eyes, smiles. School was a load that day, but it was over. Over for two weeks. Now he can relax and chill, just veg. Play the vert box and eat outrageous amounts of food. 
hang out with Trina, talk to Trina, bug Trina. Maybe he'd just say adios to his parents and kidnap her, run away. There you go. He opens his eyes. She's sitting across from him, completely ignoring him. She has no idea that he's daydreaming about her, or even that he's mad for her. They've been friends for a long time, by circumstance more than anything. When you live next door to a kid, that kid is your buddy by the rules of the universe. Male, female, alien, doesn't matter. But how could he have known she'd turn into this beautiful thing with a hot body and the dazzling eyes? Of course, the only problem with that is that every other dude in the school likes her too. And Trina likes being liked. That is obvious. Hey, he says. The subtrans bullets through the tunnels beneath New York City, whisper quiet, its movement almost soothing. It makes him want to close his eyes again. What are you thinking about over there? Her eyes meet his. Then her face brightens into a smile. Absolutely nothing. That's what I'm going to do for two weeks. Not think. If I start to think, I'm going to think really hard about not thinking until I quit thinking. Wow. That almost sounds hard. No, just fun. Only brilliant prodigies know how to do it. This is one of those moments where Mark has the ridiculous urge to say something about liking her, ask her out on an official date, reach out and take her hand. Instead, the usual dumb words come tumbling out. Oh, wisest of the wise, maybe you can teach me this method of thinking to not think. Her face scrunches up a little. You are such a dork. Oh, yeah. He has her wrapped around his finger for sure. He feels like groaning, maybe punching himself in the face. But I like dorks, she says to soften the blow. And he feels good again. So, what are your plans? You guys going anywhere? Staying home? What? We might go to my granny's for a few days, but we'll be home most of the break. I'm supposed to go out with Danny sometime, but nothing solid. You? He's been knocked down a few notches. So much up and down with this girl. Um, yeah. I mean, no, we're just... Nothing. I'll be sitting around eating chips. Lots of burping. Lots of watching my little sister get spoiled with presents. Madison. Yeah, she's spoiled, but half of that is Mark's fault. Maybe we can hang out then. And back up the scale he goes. That'd be awesome. How about every day? It's the boldest statement he's ever made to her. Okay. Maybe we can even... She looks around with exaggerated caution, then focuses back on him. Sneak a kiss in your basement. For one long second... He thinks she's serious and his heart stops completely, goosebumps rising like soldiers across his skin. A flush of feeling burns in his chest. But then she starts laughing like a crazy person. Not really maliciously, and maybe he even notes a hint of real flirtation in there somewhere. But mostly he can tell that she sees them as lifelong buds, nothing more. That the thought of kissing in his basement is just plain silly. Mark officially decides to abandon his own notions for a while. You are so hilarious, he says. I'm laughing on the inside. 
She stops her giggling and uses her hand to fan her face. I really would, you know. The last word has barely come out of her mouth when the lights go out. The subtrans loses all power and begins to slow. Mark almost falls out of his seat and into Trina's lap. Any other time, and maybe that would be a good thing, but now he just feels scared. He's heard stories about this sort of thing happening in the olden days, but in his lifetime the power underground never fails. They are in absolute, complete darkness. People are beginning to scream. The brain isn't wired to be plunged into such darkness without warning. It's just scary. Finally, the glow from a few wrist phones breaks it a little. Trina grabs his hand and squeezes. What in the world? she asks simply. He feels reassured because she doesn't seem all that scared, really, and it brings him back to his senses. Even though it's never happened before, surely the subtrans is bound to break down eventually. Malfunction, I guess. He pulls out his palm phone. He's not rich enough for one of those fancy wrist things. But strangely, there's no service. He puts it back in his pocket. Soft yellow emergency lights come on, strips that run down the roof of the train. They're dim, but still a welcome relief after the blindness of before. People are standing up all around him, looking up and down the train, whispering furiously to each other. Whispering seems like what you're supposed to do in such a situation. At least we're not in a hurry, Trina says. In a whisper, of course. Mark has lost that initial sense of panic. Now all he wants to do is ask her what she meant when she said, I really would, you know. But that moment has been shot down and killed for good. Of all the rotten timing. The train shakes, just a little, trembling more than anything, like a heavy vibration. But it's unsettling and people scream again, move about. Mark and Trina exchange a look full of curiosity with a spark of fear. Two men stomp over to the exit doors, working to force them apart. They finally slide open and the men jump out onto the walkway that runs the length of the tunnel. Like a bunch of rats fleeing a fire, the rest of the passengers follow them, pushing and shoving and cursing until everyone is out. In a matter of two or three minutes, Mark and Trina are left alone on the subtrans car, the pale lights glowing above them. Not sure that's really what we should do. Trina says, for some reason still whispering. I'm sure this thing will flip back on soon. Yeah, Mark says. The train continues to quake slightly, and that's beginning to worry him more. I don't know. Something seems really wrong, actually. You think we should go? He thinks about it for a second. Yeah, if we just sit here, I might go crazy. Okay, maybe you're right. Mark stands up, as does Trina. They walk to the open doors, then climb out onto the walkway. It's narrow and has no railing, which makes it seem really dangerous if the trains start again. Emergency lights have come on in the tunnel as well, but they barely do anything to break the almost tangible darkness of a place so far underground. They went that way, Trina says, pointing to their left, and something in her tone makes Mark think she means they should go in the opposite direction. He agrees with her. So, to the right then, he says, giving a nod. Yeah, I don't want to be near any of those people. Can't even say why. Seemed like a mob. Come on. She pulls him by his arm as she begins walking down the narrow ledge. 
They both run a hand along the wall, almost leaning into it to make sure they don't topple onto the tracks. The wall is vibrating, but not as strongly as the train. Maybe whatever caused the power outage has finally begun to calm. Maybe it was just a simple earthquake and everything will be okay. They've been walking for ten minutes, not saying a word to each other, when they hear the screams up ahead. No, not just screams. Something beyond screams. Pure terror, like people being slaughtered. Trina stops, turns to look back at Mark. Any doubts, or hopes, rather, vanish. Something horrible has happened. Mark's instinct is to turn and run in the opposite direction, but he's ashamed of himself when Trina opens her mouth and shows how brave she is. We need to get up there, see what's going on, see if we can help. How can he say no to that? They run, as carefully and as quickly as they can, until they reach the wide platform of a substation, and then they stop. The scene before them is too horrific for Mark's mind to compute. But he knows that nothing in his life will ever, ever be the same. Bodies litter the floor, naked and burned. Screams and cries of pain pierce his eardrums and echo off the walls. People are limping about, arms outstretched, their clothes on fire and their faces half-melted like wax. Blood everywhere, and an impossible surge of heat washes through the air, like they're inside an oven. Trina turns, grabs his hand, a look of terror on her face that he thinks may be seared into his mind forever. She pulls him once again, running back to where they came from. All the while, he thinks of his parents, his little sister. In his mind, he sees them burning somewhere. He sees Madison screaming. And his heart breaks. Chapter 9 Mark! The vision was gone, but the memory of the tunnel still darkened his mind like some kind of seeping sludge. Mark! Wake up! That was Alec's voice, no doubt, yelling at him. Why? What had happened? Wake up! Damn it! Mark opened his eyes, blinked against the bright sun breaking through branches high above him. Then Alec's face appeared, cutting the light off, and he could see more clearly. It's about time, the old bear said through an exaggerated sigh. I was starting to panic, kid. That was when Mark was hit with the bolt of pain in his head. It had just been slower to wake than he had. The pain raged inside his skull, felt as big as his brain. He groaned and put his hands on his forehead, touched the slickness of drying blood. Ow, was all he could say before he groaned again. Yeah, you took quite the hit when we crashed. You're lucky to be alive. Lucky to have a guardian angel like me to save your hide. Mark thought it might kill him, but he had to do it. Bracing for the agony, he sat up. He blinked back the spots in his vision and waited for the pain in his head and body to subside. Then he looked around. They were sitting in a clearing surrounded by trees. Gnarled roots wove their way through pine needles and fallen leaves. About a hundred feet away, the wreckage of the berg lay cradled between two giant oaks, 
almost as if it had grown there like some sort of giant metal flower. Twisted and bent, it smoldered and smoked, though there was no sign of fire. What happened? Mark asked, still disoriented. You don't remember? Well, not since whatever it was smacked me in the head. Alec threw his hands up in the air. Not much to it. We crashed, and I dragged your butt out here. Then I sat here and watched you roll around like you were having a bad dream. Memories again? All Mark could do was nod. He didn't want to think about it. I uh, rummaged around in the berg as much as I could, Alec said, changing the subject. Mark appreciated him not digging any further. But the smoke from the engines got to be too much. Once you can walk around without going eyeball up, I want to search some more. I'll find out who these people are and why they did what they did, if it's the last thing I do. Okay, Mark answered. Then a thought hit him, followed by a surge of alarm. What about that virus stuff we saw? What if the containers and darts were broken and it's all over the place now? Alec held a hand out and patted Mark's chest. I know. I know. Don't worry. Had to go through that hatch room to get out and saw the boxes. Still sealed and safe. Well, how does a virus work? I mean, is there a chance we caught it? Would we be able to tell? He didn't like the uncertainty. What kind of virus do you think it is, anyway? Alec let out a small chuckle. Son... Those are a lot of good questions that I don't have answers to. We'll just have to ask our expert when we get back. Maybe Lana's heard of that strain before, but my guess is, unless you get a bad case of the sniffles, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Remember, it knocked the others out immediately, and you're still standing. The words from the box flashed through Mark's head, and he tried to relax. Highly contagious. I'll keep that in mind he said warily. How far from the settlement do you think we flew? No idea. Might be a pretty piece getting back, but not too bad. Mark lay down on the ground and closed his eyes, put his arm over them. Just give me a few minutes, and I think we should search the ship. Who knows what we might find? You got it. Half an hour later, Mark was back inside the berg, kicking through debris, only now he was walking on a wall instead of the graded floor. The berg being on its side was disorienting. It played tricks on his mind and upset his already queasy stomach and throbbing head. But he was as determined as Alec to find something to tell them who the berg belonged to. They were obviously no longer safe in their little mountain abode. The biggest score would have been the computer systems, but Alec had tried that route to no avail. They were shut down, dead. Though odds were that he and Alec would find a portable phone or work pad somewhere in the wreckage, and if they got lucky, it wouldn't be broken. It had been an age since Mark had seen technology like that. After the flares struck, they'd been left with only whatever they had that hadn't fried, and batteries only lasted so long. But if you had a Berg, chances were you probably had batteries too. A berg. He was inside a berg. It was all really starting to hit him how much his world had changed in just over a year. 
At one time, seeing a berg had been as exciting as seeing a tree. And just yesterday, he would have guessed he'd never see one again. Now here he was rummaging through one that he'd helped wreck, looking for secrets. It was exciting, even though all he'd seen so far was garbage, clothes, broken ship parts, and more garbage. And then he struck gold. A fully functioning work pad. It was on. The bright display was what caught Mark's eye. It was lodged between a mattress and the bottom of a bunk in one of the small cabins. He turned it off as soon as he pulled it out. If the battery drained on the sucker, there'd be no way to recharge it. He found Alec in a different cabin, leaning over a personal trunk, cursing as he tried to break into it. Hey, looky what I got, Mark announced proudly, holding up the work pad for the man to see. What about you? Alec had straightened, his eyes lighting up at the discovery. I didn't find a damn thing, and I'm just about fed up trying. Let's go have a look-see at that. I'm worried about the battery running out, Mark said. Yeah, well, all the more reason to study it now, don't you think? Let's do it outside, then. I'm sick of this hunk of junk. Mark and Alec huddled over the work pad together, sitting under the shade of a tree as the sun continued to trudge its way across the sky. Mark swore that time slowed down when that thing was up there, beating down on them with its abnormally powerful rays. He had to keep wiping the sweat off his hands as he controlled the screen functions of the work pad. Work pad? It seemed anything but. Games, books, old news programs that predated the sun flares. There was a personal journal that could provide a ton of interesting information if it had been updated recently. But there wasn't much work-related stuff on the device. Until they finally found the mapping feature. It obviously wasn't functioning from the old GPS satellites. They'd all been destroyed in the radiation holocaust of the sun flares. But it seemed to have a link to a tracer on the berg, maybe controlled by old-school radar or other shortwave technology. And there was a log of every trip the now-ruined ship had taken. Look at that, Alex said, pointing to a spot on the map. Every line tracking the berg's flights returned to it eventually. That's obviously their headquarters or base or whatever you want to call it. And judging by the coordinates and what I know about this ridge of hills we call home, it can't be more than fifty or sixty miles away. Maybe it's an old military base, Mark offered. Alec thought about it. A bunker, maybe. Having something like that would make sense up in the mountains. And we're going there, boy. Sooner rather than later. Right now? Mark knew his brain was still jumbled up from being hit during the crash, but surely the old man didn't want to hike all that way before going back to the settlement. No, not right now. We need to get home and sort out what happened there. See if Darnell's okay. And the others. Mark's heart sank at the mention of Darnell. You know what we saw in that berg? The boxes of darts? There's no way those people went to all that trouble to do a fly-by flu ambush. You're right. I hate it, but you're right, kid. I don't expect much good news upon our grand return. But we need to get our butts there all the same. So come on. Alex stood up and Mark followed suit, slipping the work pad into the back of his pants. 
He'd rather return to the village than search for a bunker any day. They set off, Mark's head still woozy and achy. But the farther they went and the more his pulse quickened, the better he felt. Trees and sun and bushes and roots, squirrels and bugs and snakes. The air was warm but fresh, smelling like sap and burnt toast, filling his lungs. The Berg had taken them a lot farther from home than they'd thought, and they ended up camping in the woods for two nights, resting just long enough to feel strong again. Small game hunted by Alec and his knife provided their only food. They finally got close to the settlement in the late afternoon of the third day after the Berg attack. Mark and the old soldier were about a mile away from the village when the stench of death hit them like a fresh wave of unbearable heat. Chapter 10 The sun was just a few hours from setting when they arrived at the base of the hill below the outlying shacks and huts. Mark had ripped a wide strip of cloth from the bottom of his shirt to wrap around his nose and mouth. He pressed his hand against it as they came up the last rise before the village. The smell was awful. He could taste it on his tongue, dank, rotten, moldy, all the way to his stomach, as if he'd swallowed something that had begun to decompose. Fighting the urge to throw up, he took one step after another, breathlessly waiting to see what horrors lay in the aftermath of the attack. Darnell. Mark had no expectations there, had accepted, with a heavy heart, that his friend might be dead. But what about Trina? Lana? Misty and the Toad? Were they alive? Or sick from some crazy virus? He stopped when Alec reached a hand out and touched Mark's chest. Okay, listen to me, the old man said, his voice muffled behind his own swath of fabric. We need to set some things straight before we get up there. We can't let our emotions rule everything. No matter what we see, our number one priority has to be saving as many people as possible. Mark nodded, then moved to resume walking, but Alex stopped him. Mark! I need to know we're on the same page here. Alex spoke with a stern scowl, a look that reminded Mark of an upset schoolteacher. If we go up there and start hugging people and crying and attempting things that make no sense with people who have no chance, all because we're distraught, it'll just hurt more folks in the long run, you understand? We need to think long term. And as selfish as it sounds, we need to protect ourselves first, you get me? Ourselves. Saving the most people means we can't help anybody if we're dead. Mark looked him in the eyes and saw something rock hard in them. He knew Alec was right. With the work pad, the map, and the things they knew about the people on the berg, it was clear there was something bigger going on. Mark, Alec said, snapping his fingers to get the boy's attention. Talk to me, buddy. So what are you saying? Mark asked him. If people look sick, if those darts really made people sick, stay away from them? Alec took a step back his face pinched with an expression Mark didn't quite get. When you say it like that, it doesn't sound so brotherly, but you're dead on. We can't risk getting sick, Mark. We don't know what we're going to find up there, what we're dealing with. 
I'm just saying that we need to be prepared. And if there's any doubt about someone, leave them behind to be eaten by animals, Mark said with a coldness that he hoped would hurt Alec. The former soldier just shook his head. We don't even know what to expect, boy. Let's just get up there and see what we see. Find our friends. But don't be stupid, that's all I'm saying. Don't get close to anyone. Certainly don't touch anyone. Keep that cloth wrapped around your pretty little head, do you understand? Mark did. At the very least, it made sense to keep a distance from the people shot with darts. Highly contagious. The words went through his head again, and he knew Alec was right. I understand. I won't be stupid, I promise. I'll follow your lead. A look of compassion came across Alec's face, something Mark hadn't seen often. There was true kindness in those eyes of his. We've been through hell and back, kid. I know it. But it's toughened us up, right? We can do what it takes to live through one more challenge. He glanced up the path toward the village. Let's hope our friends are okay. Let's hope, Mark repeated. He tightened the cloth mask around his face. Alec gave him a stiff nod, professional again, and started up the hill. Mark pulled himself together, swearing to put emotions aside for now, and followed. They'd just crested the hill when the source of the horrific smell came clearly into view. So many bodies. On the very outskirts of the village, there was a large, simple wooden structure originally meant to provide cover in a rainstorm, then, when more solid buildings were built, to store things temporarily. It had three walls and an open front. A thatched roof had been layered with mud to keep the inside as dry as possible. Everyone called it the leaner, because despite being pretty sturdy, it looked like it was tilting down the slope of the mountain. Someone had made the decision to put the dead in the leaner. Mark was horrified. He shouldn't have been. He'd seen more dead people in the last year than a hundred morticians of the past would have seen in a lifetime. But it was shocking all the same. There were at least twenty bodies laid out side by side, filling the entire floor. Most of them had blood covering their faces, around the nose, mouth, eyes, and ears. And judging from the color of their skin and the smell, all of them had been dead for a day or two. A quick scan revealed that Darnell wasn't in the group. But Mark didn't dare allow himself to hope. He pressed the cloth tighter to his nose and mouth and forced himself to look away from the carnage. There'd be no way he could eat any time in the near future. It didn't seem to faze Alec quite as much. He was still staring at the bodies with a look more of frustration than disgust. Maybe he wanted to get in there, examine the bodies, and try to figure out what was going on, but knew how foolish it would be. Let's get into town, Mark said. Find our friends. Okay, was Alec's response. The place was a ghost town all dust and dry wood and hot air. Not one person could be seen on the paths or in the alleys, but Mark kept catching glimpses of eyes peering out through windows and slats and cracks in the haphazard structures. He didn't know everyone in their camp, not by a long shot, but he was sure someone had to have recognized him by now.
Hey, Alec shouted, startling him. It's Alec. Somebody come out here and tell us what's happened since we left. A voice responded, slightly muffled, coming from somewhere up ahead. Everyone's been inside since the morning after that bird came. The ones who helped the people who got shot. Most of them got sick and died too. Just took a little longer. It was the darts, Alec yelled in reply, making sure everyone within earshot could hear him. It might be a virus. We got up in that berg, crashed it about two days from here. We found a box of the darts they shot at us. They could very well have infected the people who got hit with... something. There were people murmuring now and whispers coming from inside the shelters, but no one answered Alec. He turned to Mark. Let's be glad they were smart enough to hole up in their homes. If there is some kind of virus, maybe that kept the thing from spreading like wildfire. Who knows? If everyone's been inside and no one else is sick, it could have died out with those poor saps in the leaner. Mark gave him a doubtful look. I sure hope you're right. Footsteps cut Alec off before he could respond. They both turned to face the center of the village just in time to see Trina run around a corner toward them. She was dirty and sweaty, her expression frantic, but her eyes lit up at the sight of Mark, and he knew that his did too. She looked healthy, which filled him with relief. She was sprinting toward him and showing no intention of slowing down until Alec stopped her. He stepped between her and Mark, holding both hands out. Trina skidded to a stop. Okay, kids, Alec said. Let's be careful before we go around hugging each other. Can't be too cautious. Mark expected Trina to argue a little, but she nodded, sucking in deep breaths. Okay, I was just... I'm just so glad to see you guys here. But hurry, I need to show you something. Come on! She waved her arms at them, then turned and ran back the way she'd come. Mark and Alec followed without hesitation, sprinting through the main alley of the town. Mark heard gasps and whispers and saw fingers pointing out of the closed quarters they passed. After several minutes, Trina finally stopped in front of a small shack that had been boarded up with three wooden slats nailed across the door. From the outside, someone had been imprisoned. And that someone was screaming. Chapter 11 The screams barely sounded human. Trina jumped back a couple of steps when she reached the boarded-up shack, then turned to face Mark and Alec. Tears were leaking from her eyes, and as she stood there taking deep breaths, Mark thought he'd never seen someone look so incredibly sad even after all the end-of-the-world crap they'd been through. I know it's terrible, she said over the screams of the prisoner. Mark could tell it was a man or boy, but had no idea whether it was someone he knew. The sounds were terrifying. But he made us do it. Said he'd slit his wrists if we didn't. And it's just gotten worse and worse since. We don't know why he didn't just die like the others. But Lana made sure from the get-go that we were careful. She was worried that there was a chance something contagious was loose. As soon as more people started getting sick, she quarantined him. It happened fast. Mark was stunned. He opened his mouth to ask a question, but shut it 
He thought he knew the answer. Alex said it for him. It's Darnell in there, isn't it? Trina nodded, and a fresh wave of tears poured down her face. Mark wanted nothing else but to hug her, hold her for the rest of the day and night. But all he had were his words now. It's okay, Trina. It's okay. You both did the right thing. Like Lana said, Darnell knew they might have infected him with something. We all need to be careful until we know whatever this thing is has stopped spreading. Fresh screams erupted from the hut, seeping through the cracks. It sounded like Darnell was tearing his throat apart, and Mark wanted nothing more than to cover his ears. My head! Mark turned sharply, eyeing the hut. It was the first time Darnell had used actual words. Mark couldn't help himself. He hurried over to a boarded-up window with a gap about two inches wide running across the middle. Mark! Alec yelled. Get back here! It's fine, Mark replied. I'm not going to touch anything. I won't be a bit happy if you catch some nasty disease, not a bit. Mark tried to give him a reassuring look. I just want to see my friend. He pressed the cloth tightly against his nose and raised his eyebrows dramatically at Alec. The man grunted and looked away. But Trina was staring him down, obviously torn between stopping Mark and joining him. Just stay there, he called to her before she could make a move. His voice was muffled through the mask, but she heard him clearly enough. She gave a slight nod, then her gaze fell to the ground. Mark faced the gap between the two boards of the window. The screaming had stopped inside, but he could hear Darnell whimpering softly now, moaning those same two words every few seconds. My head, my head, my head. Mark took another step forward, then another. The slit was just a few inches from his face now. He cinched the strip of cloth behind his neck, making sure his mouth and nose were entirely covered. Then he leaned forward and peeked in. Broken beams of the fading sunlight arrowed across the dirt floor, but it was mostly dark. He saw Darnell's feet and legs in one spot of light, tucked up tightly to his body, but his face was hidden. He had his head buried in his arms by the looks of it. Still the whimpering and the muttering. And he was shivering from top to bottom, as if he were caught outside in a blizzard. Darnell? Mark asked. Hey, it's Mark. I know you've been put through the ringer, man. I'm... I'm really sorry. Hey, we got the suckers who did this to you. Crashed their berg and everything. His friend didn't respond, just lay there, half in shadow, shaking and moaning, muttering those two words. My head, my head, my head. Mark's insides plummeted to some dark place, and he felt hollow inside. He'd seen so much of terror and death, but looking at his friend, suffering alone, it killed Mark, especially because it was so pointless. Needless. Why would someone do this to others after all the hell that had happened to the world? Weren't things bad enough? A sudden rage came over him. Mark punched the rough wood of the shack, bloodying his knuckles. 
He hoped somebody paid for all this one day. Darnell? Mark called again. He had to say something, make it better. Maybe, maybe you're stronger than the others. That's why you haven't died. Just hang tough, man. Wait it out. You'll... Empty words. That was what it felt like. As if he were lying to his friend. Anyway, the sergeant and I, Trina, Lana, whoever, we're going to make it right, somehow. You just... Darnell's body suddenly stiffened, his legs shooting straight out and his arms going rigid at his sides. Another scream, worse than before, erupted from his ravaged throat. It came out sounding like the roar of an enraged animal. Mark jumped back in surprise, but quickly leaned in again, his eye as close as possible to the opening without touching it. Darnell had rolled out into the middle of the floor, his face now in full view under a shaft of sunlight as he shook and shook. Blood covered his forehead, his cheeks, his chin, his neck, matted his hair. It was seeping from his eyes and ears, dripping off his lips. The boy finally got control of his arms and pressed them against the sides of his head, twisting this way and that as if he were trying to screw the thing right off his neck. And the screams kept coming, broken up by the only two words he seemed to know. My head! My head! My head! Darnell, Mark whispered, knowing there was no way he could talk to his friend now. And despite how guilty and sick it made him feel, Mark also knew he couldn't possibly go in there to try and help. It would be beyond stupid. My head! Darnell shouted in one long, drawn-out wail of such ferocity that Mark stepped back again. He didn't know if he could bear to look anymore. There was the sound of movement inside, the shuffling of feet, then a loud thunk against the door, then another, and another. Thunk! 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 Mark closed his eyes. He knew what that horrible sound was. Trina was suddenly there, pulling him into her arms, squeezing him tightly as she shook with sobs. Alec protested, but only half-heartedly. It was too late now. There were a few more thunks, and then a last, long, piercing scream that ended in a wet, gurgly burst. After that, Mark heard Darnell slump to the floor with an exhale of breath. He was ashamed of himself, but all Mark felt in that quiet moment was relief that the ordeal had finally ended. And that it hadn't been Trina. Chapter 12 Mark had never thought of Alec as a gentle man, not even remotely. But when the soldier walked over and separated Mark from Trina, he did it with a warm look on his face. Then he spoke. I know we've been through a lot together. Alec flicked his eyes over at the shack where Darnell was. But that might have been the worst yet, hearing what we just heard. The man paused for a moment before he continued. We can't give up now, though. From day one, we've been about living. Mark nodded and looked at Trina. She wiped a tear away, giving Alec a cold look. I'm kind of sick of surviving. 
At least Darnell is done with this world. In all the years Mark had known her, she had never sounded so angry. Don't talk like that, he said. I know for a fact you don't mean that. Her gaze swept to him and softened. When will it end? We survive months of the sun beating the tar out of the planet, find a place where we can build shelter, find food. A few days ago we were laughing. And then guys come in a burg and shoot us with darts and people die? What is this, some kind of joke? Is someone up there laughing at us, playing us like some kind of vert game? Her voice cracked and she started crying again, covering her face with her hands as she sat down on the hard-packed earth, her legs crossed under her. Her shoulders shook with her silent sobs. Mark looked at Alec, whose eyes narrowed back at him as if to say, She's your friend. Say something. Trina, Mark said quietly. He walked over and knelt behind her, then reached out and squeezed her shoulders. I know. Just when we thought things couldn't get any worse. I'm sorry. He knew better than to make things seem less terrible than they actually were. That was a pointless trick they'd all promised to stop a long time ago. But I promise we'll stay together on all this, he continued. And we'll do everything we can not to catch whatever it was that killed Darnell and the others. But if we're going to do that... He rubbed her back and looked up at Alec for help. Then we need to be vigilant, the man said. We need to be cautious and smart and ruthless if it comes to that. Mark knew it might be foolish to be touching Trina. But he didn't care. If Trina died, he seriously didn't know if he could keep going. Trina dropped her hands from her face and looked at Alec. Mark, stand up and walk away from me. Trina, do it, now. Go stand near Alec so I can see both of you. Mark did as she asked. He rejoined the man about ten feet away and turned to see that any trace of the crying, helpless, I-want-to-quit Trina was gone, replaced with the firmly resolved woman Mark was used to seeing. She got to her feet and folded her arms. I've been really careful since you two got up on that berg. The suits those jerks were wearing, the darts, how quickly the people who were shot collapsed and got sick. Even before Lana told us anything, it was obvious something was going on. The only person I've interacted with was Darnell, but he knew to keep his distance. He was the one who barricaded himself in that place and forced me to board it up. She paused to take a breath and eyed each of them. My point is that I don't think I'm sick, especially since it acted so quickly on everyone who was. I can see that, but Alec began, but Trina cut him off. I'm not finished, she said with a sharp glare. I know we need to be careful. I could be sick. I know we've touched, but let's try not to anymore. Not until we're totally sure. And all three of us need to make new masks and to wash our hands and faces like crazy. Mark liked that she was taking charge. Sounds good to me. Absolutely, Alec agreed. Now where are the others? Lana, Misty, the Toad. Trina pointed in a few directions. Everyone is holed up somewhere, keeping their distance. 
just to be safe until no one shows any signs of sickness. Maybe another couple of days. Sitting around for a day or two sounded like the worst idea possible to Mark. I'll go nuts if we do that. We found a work pad with a map of where that berg came from. Let's gather supplies and get out of here. Maybe we can learn something. Agreed, Alec chimed in. We should get as far as we can from this place. Wait, what about Darnell? Mark asked. Though he knew what they would say, it made him feel better to at least ask. Should we bury him? Trina's and Alec's eyes said it all. They couldn't risk being anywhere close to his body. Take us to Lana and the others, Alec said to Trina. Then we go. As they searched the town for their friends, Mark worried about people trying to join them. But fear had struck deep, and no one dared venture out of their home. The village was eerily quiet, but he could feel the eyes following him down the alleys and paths. It didn't surprise him the more he thought about it. The world had punished everyone enough. Why should they risk bringing anything more upon themselves? They collected Misty and the Toad from the second floor of a log cabin on the outskirts of town, across the village from the leaner and its bodies. Trina wasn't sure where Lana would be. They found her about an hour after they set out, sleeping behind some bushes by the river. She was upset that they'd found her sleeping, but she'd worn herself out. As soon as Mark and Alec had boarded the berg and disappeared in the woods, she'd taken charge. Quarantining people and getting the bodies in one place. She said they'd been sure to wear gloves and masks, and helping deliver food from house to house. No one in the settlement knew exactly what had happened, but Lana had insisted from the start that care needed to be taken in case they were dealing with something contagious. I'm not sick, she concluded as they readied to leave the stream and go back to the village. It happened so quickly, and the ones who got sick afterward have already died. I think I'd have symptoms by now. How fast? Mark asked her. How fast did it take effect? All but Darnell were dead within twelve hours, she replied. They woke up and showed symptoms within two or three. I really think if anyone is still alive and symptom-free right now, they're clear. Mark took in their group, the toad fidgeting nervously, Misty looking at the ground, Alec and Lana staring at each other intently in what appeared to be a silent conversation, and Trina looking at Mark. Her eyes said it all. They were going to live through this, just like they'd lived through everything else. They were back at the shack an hour later, filling backpacks with as much food and supplies as they could carry. As they worked, they kept their distance from each other. Caution seemed to come naturally now. Mark washed his hands at least three times during the packing frenzy. They had just finished up, each of them with a loaded pack on his or her back, when Misty groaned. Mark turned to agree with her. The packs were heavy, but when he saw her face, his stomach sank. She was pale and leaning on a table with both hands. Mark was stunned. The last time he'd looked at her, she was fine. But then her legs gave out, and she collapsed to one knee. She touched the side of her face tentatively, almost as if she was worried about what she'd feel there. My head hurts, she whispered. Chapter 13 
Everyone get out of here, Lana yelled. Out, now! Mark was speechless. Everything in him wanted to do the opposite of what she'd just ordered. He wanted to help his friend. Get outside, then we can talk, Lana insisted. She pointed to the door. Go, Misty said weakly. Do what she says. Mark and Trina exchanged a look, but she only hesitated a second before marching out the door. Alec was right on her heels, then Lana. Mark turned to leave, but then noticed that the toad hadn't moved. Hey, come on, man. Let's just go out there and talk about this. Misty, tell him. He's right, Toady, she said. She'd slipped her backpack to the floor and sat down next to it. Mark couldn't believe how quickly she'd gone from totally fine to literally on the ground, too weak to stand. Go and let me figure this thing out. Maybe I just ate something weird. But Mark could tell she didn't believe that. We can't just keep abandoning people, the toad said, glaring at Mark. Who cares what you do if it makes you end up dead, Misty countered. How would you feel if it was reversed? You'd want me to leave. Now go! That seemed to drain a good chunk of her energy. She slumped and almost lay down. Come on, Mark said. We're not abandoning her. We're just going outside to talk. The toad stomped out of the shack, muttering under his breath the whole way. This is all so messed up. Totally messed up. Mark looked at Misty, but she was staring at the floor, taking long, deep breaths. Sorry, was all he could get out. Then he joined the others. They decided to give her one hour. They'd see what happened. See if she got better or worse. Or if she stayed the same. It was a maddening hour. Mark was unable to sit still. He paced outside the shack, worried on so many levels. The thought that a virus might be slinking its way through his system, it was unbearable. And Trina's too. He wanted to know. Now. It was so overwhelming that he found himself forgetting that Misty could very well have it and die soon. I think we need to readjust our outlook here, Lana said toward the end of their allotted time. Misty hadn't improved or gotten worse. She still lay on the floor in the shack, breathing evenly, not moving at all, not speaking. What do you mean? Mark asked. He was grateful the silence had been broken. Darnell and Misty prove that whatever this is doesn't necessarily take effect right away. Alex spoke up. I think we should use the time we have. We should hike to that place on the map and we need to do it as soon as possible. He lowered his voice and added, I'm sorry, but we have to get out of here, and what better place to go than where we can learn what's going on? Whatever was in those darts caused this. We need to go where the darts came from. Maybe there's something, some medicine, that can cure this sickness. Who knows? It all came out sounding a little cold, harsh, but Mark couldn't disagree with him. He felt like he had to get away from here, if nothing else. We can't leave Misty, Trina said. But even her statement had no strength behind it. We don't have a choice, Alec countered. 
Lana stood from where she'd been sitting against a wall and brushed off her pants. We don't have to bear the guilt of this, she murmured. Let's ask Misty. She deserves that. And we'll do whatever she decides. Mark raised his eyebrows and looked around at the others, who were doing the same. Lana took that as agreement and walked to the open door of the shack. Without going in, she knocked on the frame and spoke in a loud voice. Misty? How's it going in there? Mark was perched on the ground where he could see inside. Misty was on her back, but slowly turned to look at them. You guys need to go, she said weakly. Something is seriously wrong with my head. It feels like bugs are up there, eating away at my brain. She took several deep breaths, as if saying just that much had sapped her strength. But, honey, how can we leave you here? Lana asked. Don't make me talk anymore. Just go. Another deep breath. Mark could see the pain in her eyes. Lana turned toward the others. Misty says we need to go. Mark knew they'd become hardened. They'd had to, to survive the world since the sun flares struck. But this was the first time they were faced with leaving someone who still seemed so alive. Misty's decision or not, he thought the guilt would eat away at him. When he looked at Trina, his resolve hardened. Still, he let Alec be the bad guy. The former soldier had gotten to his feet and slung his backpack onto his shoulders. The best way to honor Misty right now is to get moving and learn something that could end up helping. Mark nodded and followed suit, cinching tight the straps of his pack. Trina hesitated, then stepped up to the doorway, faced Misty. Misty, she began, but no more words came. Go! the girl shouted, almost making Trina stumble backward. Go! Before the things in my brain jump out and bite you! Go! Go! She'd risen to rest on her elbows and screamed with such ferocity that Mark thought she might have hurt herself, might have realized that she was about to face the horror that Darnell had gone through. Okay, Trina said sadly. Okay. The toad was by far the closest friend to Misty, and he hadn't said a word. He just stood staring at the ground, tears in his eyes. But as Mark and the others prepared to leave, the stout man didn't move. Alec finally asked him what he was doing. I'm not going, the toad said. As soon as he said it, Mark realized he'd been expecting it. No surprise at all. He also knew that there'd be no changing the guy's mind. They'd be saying goodbye to two of their friends now. Alec argued with him, as did Lana. Trina didn't bother, obviously having come to the same conclusion as Mark. And just as Mark had predicted, the toad didn't budge. She's my best friend. I'm not leaving her. But she wants you to, Lana said. She doesn't want you to stay here and potentially die with her. She wants you to live. I'm not leaving her, 
he repeated, and gave Lana a cold stare. Misty said nothing from inside, either not hearing or too weak to respond. Fine, Lana said, not bothering to hide her annoyance. Catch up with us if you change your mind. Mark just wanted to leave. The situation had become unbearable. He took one last look at Misty through the doorway before moving on. She was curled up into a ball, speaking in an odd voice, though it was too low to make out what she was saying. But as they walked away, he was pretty sure that the girl had been singing. She'd snapped, he thought. She definitely snapped. Chapter 14 They only made it about three miles before it got too dark to continue, and Mark was more than ready to stop, exhausted from the crazy day. Alec had to have known they couldn't go far, but staying in that village was not an option. They were finally gone from it all, in the thick trees and fresh air of the woods, which helped drain some of the tension and emotional ups and downs of those last couple of hours. No one said much as they made a simple camp and ate a dinner of packaged food brought up from the Asheville factories. Lana insisted they keep their distance from each other, so Mark lay on his side several feet from Trina, the two of them staring at each other, wishing they could cuddle at least. Mark almost scooted over to her about a hundred times, but stopped himself. He knew she wouldn't let him anyway. They didn't say much, just held each other's gaze. And Mark was sure she was thinking the same things he was. How their world had fallen apart once again. How they'd just lost three friends who'd survived the trek of horror they'd made. From the devastation that was New York City to the Appalachian Mountains. And of course she was wondering about the virus. Not a whole lot of happy thoughts. Alec ignored everyone, studying the work pad they'd retrieved from the Berg. He'd made a rough copy of the map they'd found on it with a pencil and some paper, but he wanted to see if he could unearth anything else useful. He had his compass out, was making notes, and Lana was next to him, offering pointers. Mark realized his eyelids were drooping. Trina smiled at him. He smiled back. Pathetic or not, at least they were smiles. He fell asleep, and then the memories came rushing in once again, never letting him forget. Someone is on their tail. It's only been a couple of hours since it happened in the city above them. Mark has no idea what it was, but he assumes it was a bomb set by terrorists or an explosion from a gas leak, something that burned. The heat is unbearable as are the screams. He and Trina have fled through the subtrans tunnels, finding abandoned offshoots, going deeper and deeper. But people are everywhere, most of them crazy with terror. Bad things are happening all around. Theft, harassment, worse. It's like the only people who escaped the catastrophe above them are hardened criminals. Trina found a box of insta-food left behind by someone in the chaos. Mark is carrying it now, both of them having already switched into some kind of instinctual survival mode. But others obviously have, too, and every person they look at as they run seems to know that Mark and Trina have something they want. And maybe not just the food. 
No matter how many twists and turns they take in the underground labyrinth of filthy, sweltering hot passages, they can't lose the man on their tail. He's big and fast, and has become like a shadow. Yet every time Mark looks back at him, he seems to disappear into some nook or cranny. They're running down a long hallway filled with water to their ankles, splashing with every step they take. Mark's cell phone is providing the only light, and he dreads the moment it runs out of power. The thought of being in this place, alone and clueless as to where they should go, in complete darkness, terrifies him. Trina suddenly stops and grabs Mark's arm, pulls him through an opening to the right that he didn't see. They're in a small room. Looks to be an old storage closet from when this part of the system was still being used back in the old subway days. Turn it off, she says in a fierce whisper as she pulls him deeper into the room and stands behind him. Mark shuts down his phone, pitching them into the darkness he was just worrying about. His first instinct is to panic and scream and wander blindly about. But it's a brief moment of insanity, and it passes. He calms his breathing and is thankful he can feel the touch of Trina's hand on his back. There's no way he was close enough to see us come in here, she whispers in his ear from behind. And he can't be quiet in that water. Let's wait him out. Mark nods, then remembers she can't see him. Okay, he says quietly. But if he somehow finds his way in here, I'm done running. We're going to gang up and beat him down. Okay, we'll fight. Trina squeezes his arm and leans into him. Despite the absurdity of feeling such a thing at that moment, in those circumstances, he flushes from top to bottom, tingles and goosebumps all over. If only this girl knew how much he likes her. He feels a twinge of guilt that on some deep level he's thankful for whatever tragedy has occurred because it's forced them together. He hears a couple of splashes in the distance, then a few more, obviously footsteps in the water of the small tunnel outside their room, then a steady beat of them, getting louder as their pursuer, he assumes it's their pursuer, gets closer. Mark presses against Trina and the wall behind her, wishing they could somehow disappear into the brick. A light flicks on to Mark's right, almost making him cry out in surprise. The approaching footsteps stop. Mark squints. His eyes have already grown used to the darkness and tries to see the source of the light. It moves and shines about the room, then settles on Mark's eyes, blinding. He looks down. It has to be someone with a flashlight. Who are you? Trina asks. She's whispering, but her voice sounds like it came out of a bullhorn because Mark is so nervous. The flashlight moves again as someone crawls out of a hole in the wall and stands up. Mark can barely make out any details, but it looks to be a man. A filthy man, his hair a mess, and his clothes tattered. Another man appears behind him, and then another. They all look the same. Dirty, and desperate, and dangerous. Three of them. I think we'll be asking the questions, the first stranger says. We were here way before you, and we don't like visitors none too much. Why are people running around here like cats anyway? What happened? 
You two don't look like the type that comes a-calling for the likes of us. Mark is scared to the core. Nothing even remotely like this has ever happened to him. He fumbles for words, feeling like he needs to answer, but Trina beats him to it. Look, use your head. We wouldn't be down here unless something horrible happened up there, in the city. Mark finds his voice. Haven't you noticed how hot it is? We think it was a bomb, a gas explosion, something. The man shrugs. You think we care? All I care about is my next meal. And maybe something nice dropped in our laps today. A little surprise for me and the boys. He eyes Trina up and down. You won't touch her, Mark says, the look in the man's eyes filling him with the bravery he couldn't find a few minutes earlier. We have some food. You can take that if you'll just leave us alone. We're not giving him our food, Trina snaps. Mark turns to face her and whispers, Better than getting our throats slit. He hears a clicking sound, then another. When he faces the men again, he sees the light glinting off silver blades. Something you should learn about us, one of the men says. We don't do much negotiating around this neighborhood. We'll take the food and whatever else we want. They start moving forward, and then a figure suddenly flashes in from the left, coming through the doorway from the passage outside. Mark barely takes a breath as he watches a short but violent burst of chaos happen right before his eyes. Bodies spinning and arms flailing and knives being tossed aside and punches and grunts. It's like some kind of superhero has entered the room, using speed and strength to beat the hell out of the three intruders. In less than a minute, they're all lying on the floor, curled up, groaning, and cursing. The flashlight has been tossed to the floor, shining on the boots of a very large man, the one who's been following them. You can thank me later, he says in a deep, grinding voice. My name is Alec, and I think we have a much bigger problem than these losers. Chapter 15 Mark woke up with a deep ache in his side. He'd been lying on a rock for hours by the feel of it. He rolled onto his back with a groan and looked at the lightning sky through the branches overhead and remembered the dream of his past as vividly as if it had been shown to him as a movie on a screen. Alec had saved them that day and countless times since, but Mark felt solid knowing that he'd returned the favor on more than one occasion. Their lives were as linked together as the rocks and earth of the mountain they'd just slept upon. The others were up within a half hour. Alec made them all a quick breakfast using some eggs he'd rustled up at the shack. They'd have to hunt soon. Mark was glad he didn't have to be the expert on that, although he'd done his share. As they sat and ate, still staying relatively quiet and doing their best to avoid touching each other or touching things that had been touched, Mark brooded. It made him sick that someone had ruined everything, just as they were on the cusp of feeling somewhat normal. We ready to get marching? Alec asked when all the food was gone. Yeah, Mark responded. Trina and Lana just nodded. That work pad was a godsend, Alec said. 
With this map and compass, I'm pretty sure we'll get there, straight and true. And who knows what we'll find. They headed out, through the half-burnt trees and over the freshly grown brush. They walked all day down the face of one mountain and up another. Mark kept wondering if they'd run into another camp or village. Rumor had it that there were settlements throughout the Appalachians. It was the only place fit enough after the sun flares and the risen sea levels, the massive destruction of all the towns and cities and vegetation. Mark just hoped that one day it could all go back to normal, maybe even during his lifetime. They'd stopped for an afternoon break by a small stream when Trina snapped her fingers and caught his attention. When he looked at her, she motioned with her head toward the woods. Then she got up and announced she had to use the bathroom. After she left, Mark waited two long minutes, then said he had to do the same. They met up about a hundred yards away by a big oak tree. The air smelled fresher than it had in a long time, almost green and full of life. What's up? he asked. They stood about five feet apart, following orders, even though no one was around to watch. I'm sick of being like this, she replied. Look at us. We've barely hugged since that berg attacked the village. We both look and feel fine, so it seems kind of silly to stay apart. Her words filled him with relief. Even though he knew the circumstances couldn't possibly be worse, he was glad to hear she still wanted to be close to him. Mark smiled. So, let's bag this lame quarantine crap. It seemed so silly when he said it like that. Even if we keep it a secret from Lana so she doesn't pitch a fit. She walked up to him, put her arms around his middle, and kissed him. Like I said, I think the game is pointless anyway. We're not showing signs, so hopefully we're in the clear. Mark couldn't have talked if he'd wanted to. He leaned down and kissed her. And this time, the kiss was much longer. They held hands until they got close to the camp, then separated. Based on the feelings pumping through Mark at the moment, he didn't know how long he could pretend. But for now, he didn't want to deal with the wrath of Lana or Alec. I think we can be there the day after tomorrow, Alec announced when they returned. Maybe not until the sun poops out, but we can get there. We'll rest up and then try to figure what to do the next morning. Sounds good, Mark said absently as he repacked his stuff. He was still kind of floating, at least temporarily relieved from all the crap. Then let's quit yapping and let's get slapping, Alec said. The statement didn't make much sense to Mark, but he shrugged and looked at Trina. She had a smile on her face. He hoped the other two fell asleep really early tonight. They had to resist the urge to hold hands again as they set off for the old grizzly bear and Lana. That night the camp was dark and quiet except for the sound of Alex snoring and the soft sighs of Trina's breath on Mark's chest. They'd waited until Alec and Lana zonked out, then scooted together and cuddled. Mark looked up at the branches of the trees, finding a clear spot that revealed brilliant stars overhead. His mom had taught him the constellations when he was really young, and he'd passed the valuable information on to his little sister, Madison. The stories behind the constellations were his favorite part, 
and he loved sharing them, especially since it was such a rarity to see the starry sky when you lived in a huge city like New York. Every trip out to the country was a huge treat. They'd spend hours pointing out the different myths and legends hanging far above them. He spotted Orion, the belt brighter than he'd ever seen it before. Orion. That had been Madison's favorite constellation, because it was so easy to find and had such a cool story behind it. The hunter and his sword, his dogs, all of them fighting a demonic bull. Mark embellished the tale a little more each time he'd told it. The thought brought a lump to his throat, and his eyes moistened. He missed Madison so much. So much. The darker part of him almost wanted to forget her because it hurt so deeply. He heard the crack of breaking branches out in the woods. His thoughts of his little sister evaporated as he bolted upright, practically shoving Trina off his chest before he could think about what he was doing. She muttered something, then rolled over onto her side, falling back into her obviously deep sleep, just as another crack sounded from the forest. He put a hand on her shoulder as he got to his knees and then scanned the area around them. It was way too dark to see anything out in the thick of trees, even with the moon and starlight. But his hearing had sharpened considerably since power and artificial lights had mostly become a thing of his past. He calmed himself and concentrated. Listened. He knew it could be a deer, a squirrel, lots of things. But he hadn't survived a year of the sun-ravaged world by making assumptions. There were more snapping of twigs and cracking of branches, heavy and definitely two-footed. He was just about to shout Alec's name when a shadow appeared in front of him, stepping out from behind a tree. There was the scratching sound of a match being lit right before it flared to life, revealing the man who held it. The toad. What? Mark said, relief like a bursting cloud in his chest. Toad! Sheesh, man, you about scared me to death. The toad dropped to his knees and held the lit match closer to his face. He looked gaunt, and his eyes were moist and haunted. Are you okay? Mark asked, hoping his friend was just tired. I'm not, the toad answered, his face quivering as if he were about to cry. I'm not, Mark. I'm not okay at all. There are things living inside my skull. Chapter 16 Mark shook Trina awake and scrambled to his feet, pulling her up with him. The toad was definitely sick, and he was standing just a few feet from their camp. They didn't know anything about this sickness, but that only made it scarier. Trina seemed disoriented, but Mark didn't relent, half dragging her to the other side of the dead coals of their fire from earlier that night. Alec, he shouted. Lana, wake up! As if the two were still soldiers, they were on their feet in three seconds, but neither of them had noticed the visitor yet. Mark didn't waste time explaining. Toad, I'm glad you came, that you're safe, but are you feeling sick? Why? Toad asked, still on his knees. His face was only a shadow. Why did you leave me like that after all we've been through? Mark's heart was breaking. 
the question had no good answer. I... I... We tried to get you to come with us. Toad acted as if he hadn't heard. I have things in my skull. I need help getting them out of there before they eat my brain and start heading for my heart. He whimpered, a sound that seemed to mark more like it would come from an injured dog than from a human. What symptoms are you feeling? Lana asked. What happened to Misty? Mark watched as the toad raised his hands up and pressed them against the sides of his head. Even his silhouette was creepy doing such a thing. There are things in my head, he repeated slowly, deliberately. His voice was laced with anger. Of all the people on this forsaken planet, I thought my friends of over a year would be willing to help me get them out. He got to his feet and began to shout. Get these things out of my head! Just calm down there, Toad, Alex said, the threat clear in his voice. Mark didn't want the situation to explode into something they'd all regret. Toad, listen to me. We're going to help you however we can, but we need you to sit down and stop shouting. Screaming at us won't help. The Toad didn't respond, but his figure seemed rigid. Mark could tell his hands were clenched into fists. Toad, we need you to sit down and then tell us everything that's happened since we left the village. The guy didn't move. Come on, Mark pushed. We want to help. Just sit down and relax. After a few seconds, Toad obeyed, collapsing to the ground in a heap, lying there like he'd been shot. Several moans escaped him as he shifted, rocking back and forth on his side. Mark took a deep breath, feeling like the situation was back under some kind of control. He realized that he and Trina were standing right next to each other, but neither Alec nor Lana seemed to have noticed yet. Mark took a few steps forward, to the side of the fire pit, and sat down. That poor kid, he heard Alec mutter behind him, thankfully not loud enough for the toad to hear. Sometimes the old man said exactly what he was thinking. Thankfully, Lana's nursing instincts won out, and she took the reins of the conversation. Okay, she began. Toad, it seems like you're in a lot of pain. I'm really sorry about that, but if we're going to help you, we need to know some things. Are you feeling well enough to talk about it? The toad continued rocking and moaning softly, but he answered. I'll do my best, guys. I don't know how long the things in my head will let me do it, though. Better hurry. Good, Lana responded. Good. Let's begin from the second we left you at the village. What did you do? I sat at the door and talked to Misty, the toad said in a tired voice. What else would I do? She's my best friend. The best friend I've ever had. I don't care about anything else. How can anyone abandon their best friend? Right, I understand that. I'm glad she had someone to be there with her. She needed me. I could tell when it got bad for her. So I went in and held her. Held her to my chest and hugged her and kissed her forehead. Like a baby. Like my baby. 
I've never felt so happy as when I held her, watching her die slowly in my arms. Mark squirmed in his seat, sickened by the toad's words. He hoped Lana was able to learn something about what was going on. How did she die? Lana asked. Did she have a lot of pain, like Darnell? Yes. Yes, Lana. She had a lot of pain. She screamed and screamed until the things left her head and crawled into mine. Then we put her out of her misery. The forest seemed to fall deathly silent at that last remark, and Mark's breath froze in his lungs. He sensed Alec moving behind him, but Lana shushed him. We? she repeated. What do you mean, Toad? And what are you talking about when you say things crawled into your head? Their friend pressed his hands against his head. How can you be so stupid? How many times do I have to tell you? We! Me and the things in my head! I don't know what they are. Do you hear me? I don't know what they are! You stupid, stupid kid! A wail escaped from his mouth, inhuman and piercingly loud, rising in pitch and volume. Mark jumped to his feet and took a couple of steps backward. It seemed as if the trees shook with the sound exploding from the toad, and every last creature within a mile fled to safety. There was only that one awful noise. Toad! Lana yelled at him, but the word was lost in the shrieking. The toad was seesawing his head back and forth with his hands as he continued to scream. Mark looked at his friends, even though he couldn't really see their faces. He had no idea what to do, and neither did Lana, evidently. That's it, he barely heard Alex say as the man moved forward and passed Mark, bumping him along the way. Mark stumbled, then got his balance, wondering what the former soldier had planned. Alec walked straight at the toad, then grabbed him by the shirt and yanked him to his feet, dragging him deeper into the woods. The screams didn't stop, just became more hitched and sporadic as he sucked in breaths and struggled to break free. Soon they were lost in the shadows of the trees, but Mark could hear the scraping of the toad's body along the ground. The sound of his wailing faded as they got farther away. What is that man up to? Lana asked tightly. Alec! Mark yelled after him. Alec! There was no response, just the continued cries and shouts of the toad. And then they ceased, abruptly. Cut off as if Alec had thrown him into a soundproof room and slammed the door shut. What the? Tina breathed behind Mark. Soon there were footsteps marching back toward them at a determined pace. For a second, Mark panicked thinking the toad had somehow broken free and hurt Alec, gone completely insane, and was coming back to finish off the others, thirsting for blood. But then Alec appeared out of the dark gloom of the trees, his face hidden in shadow. Mark could only imagine the sadness that must have been stamped in his features. I couldn't risk him doing anything crazy, the old man said, his voice surprisingly shaky. I couldn't. Not if this has something to do with a virus. I... I need to go wash myself in the stream. 
he spread out his hands before him, looking at them for a long moment. Then he marched off toward the brook nearby. Mark thought he heard him sniffle, just before he vanished back into the trees. Chapter 17 After all that, they were supposed to go back to sleep. Dawn was still hours away. No one said a word after Alec had done whatever he'd done to the toad. Mark thought he might explode, so confused was he by what had transpired over the last half an hour or so. He wanted to talk, but Trina turned away from him when he faced her. She slumped to the ground and curled up with a blanket, stifling some sobs. It broke Mark's heart. They'd gone several months without tears, and now it was happening all over again. She was an enigma to him. From the beginning, she'd been stronger, tougher, and braver than he ever was. At first, it had embarrassed and shamed him, but he loved it in her so much that he got over it. Yet she also wore her emotions on her sleeve and wasn't scared at all to let them all out in a good cry. Lana went about her business silently, eventually lying down next to a tree on the outskirts of their small camp. Mark tried to settle into a comfortable position himself, but he was wide awake. Alec finally returned. No one had anything to say, and the sounds of the forest slowly came back to Mark's awareness. Insects and a soft breeze through the trees. But his thoughts still spun wildly. What had just happened? What had Alec done to the toad? Could it really be what Mark thought? Had it been painful? How in the world could things be so messed up? At least he had the small blessing of a dreamless sleep after he finally drifted off. This virus from the darts, Lana said the next morning as they all sat, zombie-like, around a crackling fire. I think there's something wrong with it. It was a strange statement. Mark looked up at her. He had been staring at the flames, going over the events of the night before, until she'd spoken, and he was suddenly back in the present. Alec voiced his thoughts bluntly. I think there's something wrong with most viruses. Lana gave him a sharp glare. Come on, you know what I mean. Can't you all see it? See what? Mark asked. That it seems to be affecting people differently? Trina asked. Exactly, Lana responded, pointing at her as if she were proud. The people who were hit by those darts died within hours. Then Darnell and the people who'd helped the ones who were shot took a couple of days to die. Their main symptom was intense pressure in their skulls. They acted like their heads were being squeezed in vices. Then there's Misty, who didn't have symptoms for several days. Mark remembered the moment they'd left her all too well. Yeah, he murmured. She was singing the last time we saw her, curled up in a ball on the ground. She said her head hurt. There was just something different about her, Lana pointed out. You weren't there when Darnell first got sick. He didn't die as fast as the others, but he started acting strangely really quickly. Misty seemed fine up until her head started hurting, but something was off up here with both of them. She tapped on her temple several times. And we all saw the toad last night, Alec added. 
Who knows when he got it, if he had it as long as Misty, or just got it from being with her when she died. But he was crazy, like mad cow disease. Show some respect, Trina snapped at him. Mark expected Alec to retaliate or defend himself, but he appeared humbled by the rebuke. I'm sorry, Trina. Really, I am. But Lana and I are just trying to assess our situation as best we can. Figure things out. And the toad was obviously not lucid last night. Trina didn't back down. So you killed him. That's not fair, Alex said coolly. If Misty died that quickly after her symptoms hit, it's fair to say that the toad was going to die also. He was a threat to all of us, but he was also a friend. I did him a mercy, and hopefully bought us another day or two. Unless you caught something from him, Lana said tonelessly. I was careful, and I immediately scrubbed myself clean. Seems pointless, Mark said. He was sinking farther into the doldrums with every second. Maybe we all have it and it just takes longer to kill you depending on your immune system. Alex shifted up onto his knees. We've strayed from Lana's point. There's something wrong with this virus. It's not consistent. I'm not a scientist, but could it be mutating or something? Changing as it jumps from one person to the next? Lana nodded. Mutating, adapting, strengthening, who knows? But something. And it seems to take longer to kill you as it spreads, which, contrary to what you'd assume, actually means the virus is more effectively spreading. You and Mark weren't there, but you should have seen how quickly those first victims went. Nothing like Misty. It was bloody and brutal and awful for an hour or two, but then it was over. They convulsed and bled, which only helped it to spread to more human incubators. Mark was glad he'd missed it. But considering what he'd seen Darnell go through at the end, those people might have been lucky that it had happened so fast. With way too much clarity, Mark recalled the sound of the boy beating his skull against the inside of the door. It has something to do with their head, Trina murmured. Everyone looked at her. She'd just voiced something obvious, but vital. It definitely had something to do with their head, Mark chimed in. They all had massive pain and loss of sanity. Darnell was hallucinating, plain crazy, and then Misty and the Toad. Trina posed a question. Maybe they shot people with different things. How do we know it all started the same? Mark shook his head. I went through the boxes on the Berg, he said. They all seem to have the same identification number. Alex stood up. Well... If it is mutating, and if any of us have caught it, let's hope it gives us a week or two before we lose our wits. Come on, let's get moving. Nice, Trina muttered as she got to her feet. A few minutes later, they were on the march again. Sometime in the middle of the afternoon, they came within sight of another settlement. It was off the path Alec had scrawled on his makeshift map, but Mark spotted several wooden structures through the trees, big ones. His heart lifted at the idea of seeing large groups of people again. Should we go over there? Lana asked. Alex seemed to be weighing the pros and cons before he answered. Hmm, I don't know. I'm eager to keep moving and follow our map. We don't know anything about these people. 
But maybe we should, Mark argued. They might actually know something about the bunker, headquarters, whatever we're calling the place the Berg came from. Alec looked at him, obviously considering all their options. I think we should check it out, Trina said. If nothing else, we can warn them about what's happened to us. Okay, Alec relented. One hour. The smell hit them when the wind shifted. Just as they were approaching the first buildings, small huts made of logs with thatched roofs. It was the same smell that had assaulted Mark and Alec when they'd approached their own village after chasing down the berg and marching back. The smell of rotting flesh. Whoa, Alec called out. That's it. We're turning around right now. Even as he said it, it became clear where the stench was coming from. Farther down the path, Several bodies had been stacked on top of each other. Then a figure appeared. A little girl was walking toward them from the direction of the dead. She must have been five or six years old, with matted dark hair and filthy clothes. Guys, Mark said. When the others looked at him, he nodded toward the approaching girl. She stopped about twenty feet from them. Her face was dirty and her expression sad and she didn't say anything. Just looked at them with hollow eyes. The stench of rot hung in the air. Hey there, Trina called out. Are you okay, sweetie? Where are your parents? Where are the others from your village? Are they... She didn't need to finish. The stack of bodies spoke for itself. The girl answered in a quiet voice, and pointed out toward the woods behind Mark and the others. They all ran into the forest. They all ran away. Chapter 18 Mark didn't know what it was about her words that made him shiver, but they did, and he couldn't fight the urge to look over his shoulder toward where she was staring. There was nothing back there but the trees and the brush and the sunlight dappling the ground. He turned to face the girl again. Trina walked toward her, which of course made Alec protest. You can't do this, he said. But even his gravelly rebuke didn't have any strength. It was one thing to leave adults behind, people who were able to fend for themselves. Maybe it was even one thing to put a teenager, almost an adult, out of his or her misery, like Alec had done to the toad. But this was a child, and that made everything different. At least try not to touch her, for the sake of all of us. The girl flinched and took a few steps back when Trina got close to her. It's okay, Trina said, stopping. She got down on one knee. We're friendly, I promise. We came from a village just like yours, where they had lots of kids. Do you have friends here? The girl nodded, then seemed to remember something. She shook her head sadly. They're gone now? A nod. Trina looked back at Mark, heartbreak in her eyes, then returned her attention to the girl. What's your name? Trina asked. Mine is Trina. Can you tell me yours? After a long pause, the girl said, Dee Dee? Dee Dee, huh? I love that name. It's really cute. 
My brother's name is Ricky. It seemed like such a childlike thing to say, and for some reason it brought memories of Madison slamming to the forefront of Mark's thoughts. His heart ached. He wished this girl were his little sister. And as always, he tried his hardest to keep his mind from wandering down the darkest road of all, imagining what might have happened to her when the sun flares struck. Where is Ricky? Trina asked. Dee Dee shrugged. I don't know. He went with the others, into the forest. With your mom and your dad? The girl shook her head. No. They got hit by the arrows from the sky, both of them. They died real nasty. Tears welled up until they spilled over and washed down her dirty cheeks. I'm so sorry to hear that, sweetheart, Trina said, her voice full of the deepest sincerity. Mark was sure he'd never liked her as much as he did right then. Some of our friends were hurt by the same people, nasty like you said. I'm so, so sorry. Dee Dee was crying, but also rocking back and forth on her heels, something that again reminded Mark of Madison. It's okay, she said, so sweetly that Mark didn't know how much more of this he could take. I know it wasn't your fault. It was the bad men's fault. The ones who wear the funny green suits. Mark pictured that day, remembered looking up at the same people on the berg, or friends of the same people. Who knew how many bergs were out there, flying around with dart guns full of who knew what? Why, though? Why? Trina kept digging, as tenderly as she could, for more information. Why did the others leave? Why didn't you go with them? Dee Dee held up her right arm, the hand balled into a fist. She pulled up her ratty sleeve to reveal a circular wound near her shoulder scabbed over but looking poorly cared for. She didn't say anything, just held the arm straight out for everyone to inspect. Mark took in a quick breath. Looks like she was shot by a dart. I'm sorry about your owie, Trina said, shooting a glare at Mark. But do you know why they left? Where they went? Why didn't you go with them? The girl jabbed her arm out again, pointing at the wound. Mark exchanged a look with Alec and Lana, sure that they understood the deep significance as much as he did. Why was this girl okay if she'd been shot? I really am sorry they hurt you, Trina said. Looks like you're one lucky girl. Do you not want to answer any more questions? It's okay if you don't. Dee Dee groaned in frustration and pointed at her wound once again. This is why. This is why they left me here. They're bad like the green men. I'm really sorry, sweetie. Mark couldn't hold it in anymore. I'll tell you what happened. They probably thought she was sick from the dart and left without her. The words sounded wrong, though. How could anyone actually do that? To a little kid? Is that what happened? Trina asked her. They left you because they thought you might be sick? Like the others? Dee Dee nodded, and fresh tears streamed down her cheeks. Trina stood up and turned to face Alec. The soldier held a hand up. I'll stop you before you even start. 
I may look like I was chewed up and spit out by the meanest beast in the jungle, but I'm not heartless. We'll take the girl with us. Trina nodded and genuinely smiled for the first time that day. It probably is true that she's infected, Lana pointed out. It's just taking longer to manifest itself. Odds are we're all sick, Alec grumbled as he readjusted the straps of his backpack. We'll be careful with her, Trina said. We just need to keep our hands clean and away from our nose and mouth. Wear a mask as much as possible. But I'm not letting this sweet thing out of my sight until... She didn't finish, and Mark was glad for that. It's another mouth to feed, Alex said. But I guess she won't eat much. He smiled to show he was joking, something that didn't happen very often. Part of me wants to ransack this place to look for supplies, food. But whatever is taking everyone down is probably camped up nice and cozy on every dirty inch of the place. Let's get out of here. Trina motioned to Dee Dee to come along, and surprisingly, she did so without any argument. Alec headed back the way they'd come, to the path he'd so carefully mapped out. As they walked, Mark tried not to think about the fact that they were going exactly where Dee Dee had pointed earlier. They didn't run into anyone, living or dead, for the next few hours, and Mark almost forgot about the people who had left Dee Dee behind. The girl stayed quiet through the journey, never complaining as they maintained a brisk pace, up and down the rocky terrain, and then up and down all over again. Trina stayed by her side, wearing a cloth over her face. Dee Dee eagerly devoured her dinner, probably the first decent meal she'd had in a while. Then they hiked for another hour or two before setting up camp. Alec announced that, according to his calculations, they only had one full day of traveling to go. Mark watched Trina with Dee Dee. She took such good care of the little girl, making her a spot to sleep, helping her wash up in the stream, telling her a story as darkness settled on the wooded valley. Mark watched and hoped for a day when life could be good and safe again, when the horrors might end and boredom became their worst problem when a girl like Dee Dee could run around and laugh like kids were supposed to. He settled down next to Trina and the little girl, thinking about the past, and drifted off to sleep, only for the darker memories to come and stamp out his foolish hopes. Chapter 19 it takes Mark only ten minutes or so to realize that Alec is the person he wants to be close to until they're back safe and sound in their homes. Not only did he disarm three men and put them out of commission in less than thirty seconds, he is also a former soldier who wastes no time taking charge and telling them how it is. Sometimes you can believe the rumors and chit-chat, the older man says, as they slosh through the water of the passageway outside the storage closet where they encountered the armed thugs. Most times it's some lame-brained numbskull trying to impress a lady or two. But once the majority of the rumors are saying the same thing, you better perk up and pay attention. You're probably wondering what in the hell I'm trying to say here. Mark looks over at Trina. He can barely see her face in the dim glow from the flashlight that Alec is holding in front of them. She gives him a look that says, Who is this guy? She's carrying the box of food she found earlier 
It's like her security blanket or something. She won't let anyone else touch it. Not yet. Yeah, we're wondering, Mark finally replies. Alex stops and whirls around, quick as a striking snake. At first, Mark thinks his answer came out wrong, sarcastically, and the man might punch his lights out. But instead, the tough old man just holds up a finger. We have one hour tops to get out of these rat tunnels. You hear me? One hour. He turns back around and starts marching again. Wait, what? Mark asks as they hurry to keep pace. What do you mean? Why? Isn't it a bad idea to go up there until, well, I don't know. Sun flares. He says the two words like he needs to say nothing else, like the others should instantly know everything going on in his mind. Sun flares? Trina repeats. That's what you think happened up there? Pretty sure, my lovely lady. Pretty sure. Mark's bad feelings about it all have escalated exponentially upon the news. If it's not an isolated incident, if it's truly something as global as sun flares, then the little hope he held out for his family is gone. How do you know? He hears the quaver in his voice. Alec answers with no shaking in his whatsoever. Because there were too many people from too many places describing the same thing before I got away from the masses. And supposedly the news agencies put out warnings right before they struck. It's sun flares, all right. Extreme heat and radiation. Double whammy. It was something the world thought it was trained and prepared for. The world was wrong in my humble judgment. All three of them fall silent. Alec keeps moving. Mark and Trina keep following. They turn corners, enter different tunnels, steer clear of other people when they get close. All the while, Mark's heart is sinking further and further into a dark place. He doesn't know how to handle something like this. He refuses to believe his family is gone and swears to himself that he won't rest until he finds them safe and sound. Finally, Alex stops in the middle of a long passageway that looks much like all the others. I have a few other friends in here, he says. Left them to go look for food, learn some things. I've worked with Lana for years and years. We were contractors for the Defense Department. She's a former soldier like me, Army nurse. The others are strays we picked up. You two max us out. We can't take one more or we'll never make it. Make it where? Mark asks. To the world above. Alec replies, the last thing Mark expected to hear. Back into the city, as hellacious as it may be. As long as we stay inside for a while, we should be okay. But we have to get up there before the waters flood this place and kill us all. Mark woke up and rolled onto his side, his eyes fully open, his breathing heavy. And he hadn't even dreamed about the bad part. He didn't want to remember any of it. He didn't want to relive the terror of that day. Please, he thought. Please, no. Please, not tonight. I can't. He didn't even know who he was talking to. Was he talking to his own brain? Maybe he'd caught the disease from the toad and was beginning to go crazy. He flopped onto his back, 
stared up at the branches and the stars above. There wasn't even the slightest hint of dawn creeping into the sky. It was dark, dark, dark. He wanted it to be morning, wanted to be done with the threat of dreams for at least a few hours. Maybe he could keep himself awake somehow. He sat up, looked around. But he couldn't see much, only the outlines of trees and the shapes of his friends lying around him on the ground. He considered waking up Trina. She'd understand that he needed company. He wouldn't even have to tell her about his dream. But she seemed so peaceful at the moment, breathing softly. With a quiet groan to himself, he gave up on the idea, knowing he'd feel too guilty about depriving her of valuable sleep. Not only did they have a lot of walking to do the next day, she had the added burden of looking after little Dee Dee. Mark flopped back down, shifted around until he got comfortable. He didn't want to dream. The raging waters, the screams of people drowning, the frantic, unbearable fear of fleeing it all. Even awake, he could see that room beneath New York City where they'd first met Lana and the others. Alec's weathered face as he explained to them that after surviving such massive sun flares, their biggest and most immediate worry now was the surge of a tsunami. The flares must have been devastating, inflicting catastrophic damage worldwide and unleashing the heat of hell itself, which meant a quick melting of the polar ice caps, which meant sea levels rising at an alarming and apocalyptic rate which meant that the island of Manhattan would be a dozen feet underwater within a few hours. He explained all this to them while they huddled in a room far underground, where the water would seek out and drown everything in its path. Back in the present, these thoughts tormented Mark for at least another hour, and he knew if he dreamed, it would only get worse. He was scared of being scared. He drifted off despite his efforts. Sleep came over him like cold, crashing waves. Chapter 20 The Lincoln Building, one of the tallest, newest, grandest buildings in New York. One of the few with direct access to the subtrans system. That's where Alec keeps telling them they need to go. He says he has a full subtrans map saved on his phone, but he's visibly worried about them being able to make it in time. Mark was able to see, even in the dim light before they headed out, that Alec has major doubts, which is contrary to the overall persona of the hardened man he seems to be. Mark would have guessed the man could be caged with a dozen hungry lions, and he'd still only have a smirk on his face as he decided which one to kill first. The Lincoln Building, Mark tells himself. Get there. Then you can go find your family. They are all running down one of the countless, seemingly endless tunnels below the city. Alec in the lead, then the woman he said he's had the pleasure of working with for a dozen years, Lana. A boy about Mark's age named Darnell is next, then a girl named Misty, another teenager but older, maybe eighteen, then a dude, also older than Mark, but short and loaded with muscles. Misty refers to him as the Toad, and he actually seems to like the moniker. Mark and Trina are next, with a boy named Baxter bringing up the rear. Baxter is the youngest of them all, maybe thirteen, 
but Mark can tell he's a tough little sucker. Insisted on being in the back, said he wanted to protect everyone from surprise attacks. As they run, Mark hopes he has enough time left in life to become friends with the kid. I hope he knows what he's doing, Trina says quietly next to him. They are jogging along side by side, and Mark finds himself having the ridiculous thought that it'd be nice if they were on a beach, the sun just setting on the water. He thanks the powers that be that Trina can't read his mind. He does, Mark insists. He also doesn't want her to know how he's almost trembling with fear of what might happen at any second, which is making it hard to run. Almost seventeen years of life, and he never knew what a coward he was. Tsunami, Trina says the word like it's the evilest thing to ever come out of her mouth. We're in the middle of the subtrans system in New York City, and that's supposed to be our biggest worry. A tsunami? We're underground, Mark replies, and our city is right by the ocean, in case you forgot. Water drains downward, you know, gravity and all that. He can sense her giving him a nasty look, and he knows he deserves it. His nerves must be finally getting to him to be such a smart aleck. He tries to save himself the only way he knows how. Honesty. Sorry, he mutters. The run is getting to him, and he's breathing heavily. I'm just scared out of my mind. I'm really sorry. It's okay. I didn't really mean it like a question. I'm just, I don't know, saying how crazy this is, I guess. Sun flares and a tsunami. A few hours ago, those words weren't even on my radar. Not by a long shot. It sucks is the best Mark can come up with. He just doesn't want to talk about it anymore. The more they do, the more his insides twist with distress and worry. Alex slows down when they reach the end of the latest tunnel. He stops and turns to face them. Everyone is breathing heavily, and Mark's entire body is soaked with sweat. We have to go through one of the newer subtransections now, Alex says. There's bound to be people out there, and... Who knows what kind of mood they might be in. Sometimes folks get downright nasty when they think the world's about to end. Now that their little group is calming their breathing a bit, Mark can hear faint sounds coming from behind their leader. The hum of a crowd, people talking and bustling about. A few disturbing noises mixed in as well. Distant screams, crying and wailing. The isolation of their dank little storage room doesn't seem so bad now. Lana picks up the line of conversation. We just need to get through it. Walk fast, but don't look like you know where you're going. We can't afford to carry anything. Empty your arms and pockets, or we might get attacked. We'll just have to hope we can find things in the Lincoln Building. A few of them have been carrying packets of the food Trina found earlier. They dump them on the ground. The act seems to suck some of the life out of Trina. We'll go through this door. Alex says as he looks at his phone. The battery has to be close to dying. And then jump onto the tracks. If we stay off the concourse, maybe we'll come across fewer people. Straight for about half a mile. Then we can enter the doors of the stairwell for the Lincoln Building. That sucker goes all the way up to the 19th floor. It's our only shot. Mark takes a quick look around and sees that the others are fidgety and nervous. The toad is hopping up and down, which seems ridiculously appropriate. Let's go, 
Alex says. Stay close together, tight. Defend each other to the death. Trina groans at that, and Mark really wishes the man hadn't said it. Go, 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 Lana shouts, whether from frustration or to psych them up. Mark may never know. Alec opens the door and walks through. The others follow as a blast of heat surges past and washes over them. Mark feels as if the oxygen is being burned out of his chest. He fights for each breath until he gets used to it. He enters the larger tunnel on Trina's heels. They're on a narrow ledge a few feet above the actual tracks for the trains. Alec and Lana have already jumped down, are reaching up to help the others. One by one they take hands, leap off the edge, land with a thump and a jolt to the legs. Mark looks up. Light is spilling in from the stairs that eventually lead up to the devastated world above them. He studies the people milling about on the landing across from where he stands, every one of them with their gaze locked on the new arrivals. What Mark sees up there makes his heart want to stop. The place is packed. At least half of the crowd is wounded in some way. Cuts and slashes. Terrible burns. There are people lying on the ground screaming. Children of all ages, many of them hurt too. That's what breaks Mark inside the most. Two men are fighting brutally in one spot, pounding each other, scratching and clawing. No one even makes a move to break them up. There's a lady slumped on the edge of the landing, and her face is gone, replaced by melted skin and blood. Mark feels as if he's been given a glimpse into hell. Walk, Alec orders once everyone is down on the tracks. They do, staying as close together as possible. Mark has Trina on his left, the boy named Baxter on his right. The kid looks terrified, and Mark wants to say something to help him feel better, but can't find the words. They'd be empty anyway. Alec and Lana are right in front of Mark, their body language daring anyone to be stupid enough to confront them. They've made it halfway across the main section of the concourse when two men and a lady jump down onto the tracks and stand directly in their path, forcing them to stop. The strangers are dirty but look unhurt, physically, anyway. Their eyes are haunted by things they've seen. And where do you think you're going? the woman asks. Yeah, one of her friends adds. You seem mighty important. You know about some place to go that we don't? The other man steps up closer to Alec. Not sure if you've noticed or not, but the sun decided to belch all over us. People are dead, sir. Lots of people. And I don't like how you think you can just march through here and pretend everything's okay. A few other people are jumping down from the landing, congregating behind the first three strangers, blocking their path. Let's see if they have any food, someone shouts. Alec rears back and punches the man standing in front of him. The guy's head snaps back and blood sprays from his nose. He collapses to the ground. It's so sudden and shocking that no one moves for a second. Then several people charge into Mark's group, screaming and shouting. Chaos ensues. Fists are flying, feet kicking, fingers grasping hair and yanking. Mark is punched in the face just as he sees Trina yanked away by a man. Rage explodes inside of Mark, and he fights back at whoever hit him, 
swinging his arms wildly until he connects twice. Then he pushes the guy away to see a man on top of Trina. He's struggling with her on the ground, working to get control of her arms as she desperately tries to fight him off. Mark flies in, throwing his body at the man. They tumble off Trina and roll onto the ground. The man punches Mark, and Mark punches back, barely feeling where he's been hit. Then they're in a tangle, squirming, arms flailing, kicking. Mark breaks free, crawls away, checks to see that Trina is okay. She's gotten up, runs over and kicks at her attacker's face, but slips when she does it, lands on her back. The stranger goes after her, but Mark's on him again, diving shoulder first into his gut. The man grunts and curls into a ball as Mark climbs to his feet, grabs Trina by the hand. They both push out of the crowd, then look to see what's going on with the others. Everyone's still fighting, but at least no one else has joined in from the landing above. Mark sees the toad punch a man. Alec and Lana are fighting a man and a woman off of Misty and Baxter. Two other people run away from their group. It might almost be over. That's when it happens. There's a rumbling sound that is low at first, but begins to build in volume. The tunnel trembles slightly. All the fighting stops immediately. People get to their feet, look around. Mark's doing the same, trying to find the source of the noise. He's still holding Trina's hand. What is that? she shouts. Mark shakes his head, keeps sweeping his gaze around the tunnel. The floor vibrates below his feet, and the rumbling sound gets louder, becomes an outright roar. His eyes fall upon the stairs that lead up from the subtrans concourse, just as the screams erupt, countless, countless screams, and the blur of panicked movement in the crowd. A monstrous wall of filthy water is pouring down the wide steps. Chapter 21 Mark woke up, not with a scream or a shout, and he didn't bolt upright or gasp or anything as dramatic as that. He just opened his eyes and realized right away that they were moist with tears and his face was wet. The sun had come up, shining brightly through the trees. The wall of water. He'd never, never forget what it had been like to see it rushing down those stairs like some kind of living beast, and the horror of watching it sweep away the first people at the bottom. Are you okay? Trina. Great. He quickly wiped at his face and turned toward her, hoping that somehow she didn't know he'd been bawling his eyes out while sleeping. But one glance at her killed that hope. She looked like a concerned parent. Um, hey, he murmured. He felt so awkward. Good morning. How's it going? Mark, I'm not an idiot. Tell me what's wrong. He looked at her, trying to communicate with his eyes that he didn't want to talk about it. Then he saw Dee Dee leaning against a tree a few feet away, peeling the bark off a twig. Her face wasn't necessarily happy, but at least that look of utter gloom was gone. That was a start. Mark? He turned back to Trina. I just... I had a bad dream. About what? You know what. She frowned. But what part of it? 
It might help to talk about it. I don't think so. Mark sighed, then realized he wasn't being very nice. She was just trying to help him feel better. It was right before the water rushed in at that concourse, when we fought off those wannabe gangsters. I woke up just as the bad part began. The bad part. Like everything before that was a picnic in the park with Grandma. Trina's gaze fell to the ground. I wish you could stop having those dreams. We made it, and that's all that matters. Somehow you need to let go of the past. An apologetic expression came over her face. I mean, easier said than done. I guess I just wish you could let go of the past. That's all. I know, I know. Me too. He reached out and patted her on the knee, which seemed stupid in that situation, but Alec and Lana were just returning from getting fresh water from the stream. How's she doing? he asked Trina, shooting a glance at Dee Dee. Really well, I think. She hasn't opened up yet about much, but at least she seems comfortable around me. I can't imagine the terror that poor thing was going through after she was left behind. That stirred up the anger once again inside Mark. How could they? I mean, what kind of losers? Trina nodded. Yeah, but I don't know. Desperate times and all that. Yeah, but she can't be more than four years old. He was doing that combination of whispering and shouting at the same time. He didn't want Dee Dee to hear, but he couldn't help it. It made him so angry. I know, Trina said softly. I know. Lana stepped up to them, her eyes showing that she understood how he felt. We better get on the road, she said. We'll figure things out. The day dragged and dragged. At first, Mark was wary of the people from Dee Dee's village, still worried about the direction she'd pointed when they'd asked her where they went. If the girl had been right, that meant they were out here somewhere, doing who knew what. He had no real reason to fear them. They were just people like anyone else, running from an attack, running from a disease. There was just something ominous about the way Dee Dee had spoken of them and he could see so clearly in his mind her pointing at her wound with such an accusatory glare. It all unsettled him. After a few hours of not seeing any sign of them, he relaxed into the drudgery of walking, walking, and then more walking. Through the forest, crossing streams and pushing through the brush, wondering if there was any purpose in going to this place they sought. It was mid-afternoon and they'd stopped for a break. They were eating granola bars and drinking water from a nearby river. Mark thought constantly about how there was one thing they always had. Plenty of water sources. At least there was that. We're getting close, Alex said as he ate. We might have to be more careful. They could have guards surrounding the place. I bet there's a lot of people who'd like to have a nice bunker or whatever it is as their new digs. I bet the place was packed with food for emergencies. We sure did have an emergency, Lana muttered. Whoever these people are, they better have some good explanations. Alec took another bite and pushed it to the side of his mouth. That's the spirit. Do they not teach manners in the army? Trina asked. You know, 
It's just as easy to take a bite after you say something as right before it. Alec chomped on his bar. It is? He croaked a laugh and little pieces of granola shot out, which made him roar even harder. He choked out a cough, composed himself, then was laughing all over again. It was such a rare sight to see Alec acting like this, Mark didn't know how to respond at first. But then he soaked it in, chuckling right along, even though he'd forgotten what was funny in the first place. Trina had a smile on her face, and little Dee Dee was giggling heartily. The sound of it filled Mark up and washed away the doldrums. You'd think someone farted the way you're all getting on, Lana said with a deadpan look. That sent everyone into an even bigger fit that went on for several minutes, re-sparked every time it began to die down by Alec making gassy noises. Mark laughed until his face hurt, and he tried his best to stop smiling, which made him laugh even harder. Finally, it did settle down, ending with one big sigh from the former soldier. Then he stood up. I feel like I could run twenty miles, he said. Let's get moving. As they headed off, Mark realized that the dream from the night before seemed like a distant memory again. Chapter 22 Alec and Lana were much more cautious during the next part of their journey, stopping every fifteen minutes or so to listen intently, looking for telltale signs of guards or traps, keeping more to the cover of the trees whenever possible. The sun was sinking, maybe two hours from fully setting, when Alec stopped and had everyone huddle around him. At some point it seemed like the two adults had decided to stop worrying about people keeping their distance from each other. They were all in a small clearing completely surrounded by thick oak trees and towering pines, older ones that hadn't been completely consumed by the sun flares, standing on dry, brittle undergrowth. The clearing was in a little valley between two mid-sized hills. Mark was still in a good mood and was curious about what the older man had planned. I've tried to do this as little as possible, Alex said, but it's time to look at the work pad and make sure my scribbled map is still accurate. Let's hope my aging brain hasn't failed us. Yes, Lana added. Let's hope we're not in Canada or Mexico by now. Very funny. Alec powered on the device and pulled up the maps feature, finding the one that had the Berg's voyages documented, all the lines converging in one spot. He also retrieved his compass. While everyone else stayed quiet and observed, he spent a minute or so studying the work pad, running his finger this way and that, comparing it to his handwritten copy, pausing every once in a while to close his eyes and think. Mark thought he was probably retracing their path in his mind trying to match it to what he was reading on the maps. Finally, he stood up and turned in a full circle, looking up at the sun, then checking his compass. Yep, he grumbled. Yep, yep. Then he crouched back down and studied the maps for another full minute, making some small changes to the paper version. Mark was getting impatient, mainly worried that the man had concluded they were way off course. But his next words put that to rest. Oh, I'm good. Seriously, after all these years you'd think I would stop amazing myself. But here I am still doing it. Oh, brother, Lana moaned. Alec tapped the map just to the left of the spot that marked the center of the berg routes on the work pad screen. 
Unless I've got that virus eating my brain and don't know what I'm talking about, we're standing right here, probably five miles from the place this burg parks every night. Are you sure? Trina asked. I know how to read maps, and I know how to read the lay of the land, and I know how to read a compass and the sun. All these mountains and hills and valleys may seem exactly the same to your pretty little eyes, but trust me, they aren't. And look here. He pointed to a dot on the map. That's Asheville, just a few miles east. We're close. I think the next few days could be very interesting. Mark had a feeling his good mood wouldn't last much longer. They moved about a mile closer, heading deep into one of the thickest areas of woods they'd crossed yet. Alec wanted the cover in case the people they were planning to confront sent canvassers out at night. They settled in, had a quick dinner, then sat around an empty spot in their tight quarters, no fire for fear of being seen. There'd be no chances taken of being discovered so close to the Berg's headquarters. So they sat in a circle, staring at each other as the light faded into dusk and the crickets began chirping out in the forest. Mark asked about plans for the next day, but Alec insisted they weren't ready yet. He wanted to think, then talk things through with Lana before laying it out for the others. You don't think we can contribute? Trina asked. Eventually, he responded gruffly. And that was that. Trina let out an exaggerated sigh. Just when you started getting likable again. Yeah, well. He leaned back against a tree and closed his eyes. Now, let me use my brain for a while. Trina looked to Mark for consolation, but he just smiled in return. He'd gotten used to the old bear's ways a long time ago. Plus, he kind of agreed with him. Mark didn't know the first thing about what they should do in the morning. How were they going to gather information from a place and people they knew nothing about? How are you doing, Dee Dee? he asked. The girl was sitting with her legs crossed under her, staring at a spot on the ground. What's going on in that head of yours? She shrugged and gave him a half grin. He realized she might be worried about her role the next day. Hey, listen, you don't need to be scared about tomorrow. There's no way we're going to let anything bad happen to you, okay? You promise? I promise. Trina leaned over and gave the girl a hug. If there'd been any doubt before that Alec and Lana had given up the battle on people getting close to each other, much less touching, they were washed away. Neither one of them said a word. This is all grown-up stuff, Trina said to the girl. Don't you worry, okay? We'll put you somewhere safe, and then all we're going to do is try to talk to some people. Nothing else. Everything is going to be perfectly fine. Mark was just about to add to Trina's words of comfort when he heard a noise off in the distance. It sounded like someone singing. Do you hear that? He whispered. The others perked up, especially Alec. His eyes snapped open and he sat up straighter. What? Trina asked. Listen. Mark held a finger to his lips and tilted his head toward the distant voice. It was faint, but definitely there the sound of a woman singing some type of chant, not as far off as he thought at first. Chills ran up his skin. It brought back the memory of Misty singing as she began to succumb to the illness. What the hell is that? 
Alec whispered. No one answered. They just kept listening. It was high-pitched and lilting, would almost have been pretty if it didn't seem so completely out of place. If there really was someone out there singing like that, well, that was just weird. A man joined in, then a few other people, until it sounded like a full-blown chorus. What in the world? Trina asked. Is there some kind of church out here, or what? Alec leaned forward, a grave look on his face. I hate to say this, but we need to check that out. I'll go. You guys stay here and keep quiet. For all I know, this is some kind of trap. I'll go with you, Mark said, almost blurting it out. He couldn't stand just sitting there. Plus, he was madly curious. Alec didn't seem so certain. He looked at Lana and then at Trina. What? Trina asked him. You don't think we women folk can handle ourselves? You guys go. We'll be perfectly fine. Won't we, Dee Dee? The little girl didn't look so well. The singing really seemed to have freaked her out, but she nodded up at Trina and tried her best to smile. Okay, then, Alex said. Come on, Mark, let's go check it out. Dee Dee cleared her throat and held her hands out as if she wanted to say something. What is it? Trina asked her. Do you know something? The girl nodded vigorously, still with a mask of fear, then burst out talking, saying more than she had in all the time since they'd found her. The people I lived with, it's them. I know it's them. They turned weird, started doing things, saying trees and plants and animals are magic. They left me because they said I was evil. She broke into a whimper on the last word. Because I got shot and didn't get sick. Mark and the others looked at each other. Things had just gotten weirder. We'd better take a look then, Lana said. You need to at least make sure they're far enough away from us, or not heading our way. But be careful. Alec nodded, seeming anxious to go check it out. He lightly slapped Mark's shoulder and was about to walk away when Dee Dee said one last thing. Watch out for the ugly man with no ears. She leaned into Trina's shoulder and started sobbing. Mark looked at Alec, who shook his head not to press the girl. He gestured to Mark and without a word, the two headed out into the forest. Chapter 23 The singing didn't stop as they marched through the woods. They tried their best to be quiet, but every once in a while, Mark would step on a twig or fallen branch and break it, the crack of wood sounding like a little bomb in the relative silence of the forest. Alec gave him a sharp look each time it happened, as if such an act were the single dumbest thing a human had ever done. All Mark could say was, Sorry. He tried his best to step carefully, but he seemed to be drawn to things that made terrible noises. There was almost no sign of sunlight left as they crept among the trees, closer and closer to the chorus of creepy chanting. The trees became standing shadows, ominous and tall and pressing almost as if they leaned toward Mark no matter where he was standing or walking. And it was harder for him to stay quiet, which drew more reproachful glares from Alec. At least he couldn't see the expressions as well in the dark. He kept moving, following the old bear's lead. They'd made their way through the woods another few hundred yards when it became obvious that there was a source of light up ahead, 
It was orange and flickering. A fire. A big one. And the volume of the singing had gotten louder and louder. As had the... intensity. These people were really getting into whatever it was they were doing. Alec crept up to a fat, old tree and squatted behind it. Mark was right at his back, doing his best to keep silent. They knelt side by side with plenty of room to spare. What do you think about the things Dee Dee said? Mark whispered. He must have said it too loud, because the man gave him his standard be-quiet look, just visible in the faint light. Then, in a soft voice, he spoke back. This could very well be the people who left her behind, and they sound like they've got scrambled eggs for brains. Now try not to make any noises, would you? Mark rolled his eyes, but Alec had already turned away and was leaning forward to peek around the edge of the tree trunk. After a few seconds, he faced Mark again. I can't make out all of them, he said. But there's at least four or five yahoos dancing around that fire like they're trying to call back the dead. Maybe that's exactly what they're doing, Mark offered. Sounds like a cult to me. Alec nodded slowly. Maybe they've always been that way. Dee Dee said they called her evil. Maybe the virus, or whatever it is, has made them a lot worse. A cult with a disease that drove them even crazier. That sounded fun. Gives me the creeps that I haven't even seen them yet. Yeah, we better get closer. I want to get one last glimpse, make sure they're not something we have to worry about. They bent low and inched out of their hiding spot, slowly walking from tree to tree, Alec checking each time to make sure it was clear to move on to the next one. Mark was proud of himself. He hadn't made a loud noise in quite a while. They continued until they got within a hundred yards or so. The singing was crystal clear, and the shadows from the flames circled and flashed in the canopy of branches above them. Mark squatted behind a different tree from Alec this time, and leaned his head out to take a look down the long slope. The fire roared, at least ten feet wide, with its tongues of flame licking far up into the air, almost threatening the lower limbs of the trees surrounding it. Mark couldn't believe how these goons were risking burning the whole forest down, especially with how dry everything still was in the aftermath of the sun flares. Five or six people were dancing and gyrating around the bonfire, throwing their arms up and bringing them down again, bowing toward the earth and then shuffling to the side, where they started all over again. Mark half expected them to be wearing crazy robes or be flat-out naked, but they wore simple clothes, T-shirts, tank tops, jeans, shorts, tennis shoes. A crowd of a dozen or so others were lined up in two rows on the other side of the fire, singing the weird chant that Mark had been hearing. He didn't understand a word of it. Alec tapped him on the shoulder, making him jump. He turned to face the man and had to restrain himself to keep his voice low. You scared the crap out of me. Sorry. Look, I have a bad feeling about these people. Whether they're a threat or not, the people that this bunker were headed for have surely noticed them by now and are going to be on high alert. Mark wondered if maybe that would be a good thing. But if they're a distraction, it'll be easier for us to sneak up on the place. Don't you think? Alec seemed to consider his words. Yeah, I guess. We should probably... Who's up there? Mark froze, as did Alec, 
staring at each other with open mouths now. Mark could see the light from below flickering in the reflection in Alec's eyes. I said, who's up there? It was a woman calling from the group at the fire. We mean you no harm. We just want to invite you to join us in our praises to nature and the spirits. Ooh, boy, Alec whispered. I think not. I definitely think not, Mark said back. There was the crunch of footsteps, and before they could do anything, two people were standing over them. Their backs were to the fire, so Mark couldn't make out their faces. But it looked to be a man and a woman. You're welcome to dance and sing with us, the woman said. Her tone seemed way too calm for the circumstances. In this new world, strangers should be met with more caution. Alex stood up straight. There was no point in crouching there like kids spying, and Mark did the same. Alec folded his arms and stuck his chest out like a bear trying to defend its territory. Look, he began with his typical bark. I'm flattered you came here with an invite, but we'll have to respectfully decline. No hard feelings, I'm sure. Mark grimaced, thinking these two people were far too unpredictable, maybe even unstable, to risk being sarcastic or rude to them. He wished he could see their faces for a reaction, but they were still hidden in shadow. Why are you here? the man asked, as if he hadn't heard the comments from Alec. Why are you here, spying on us? I would think you'd be honored that we offered an invitation. Alec sucked in a short breath, and Mark sensed him tensing up. We were curious, Alec said evenly. Why did you leave Dee Dee behind? Mark suddenly blurted out, having no idea where it came from. He didn't even know for sure if these people really were from the same village or not. She's just a little girl. Why did you leave her behind like a dog? The woman didn't answer his question. I have a bad feeling about both of you, she replied. And we can take no chances. Seize them. Before Mark could process her words, there was a rope around his neck, cinched tightly, yanking him off his feet. He croaked and threw his hands up to try to relieve the pressure as he fell on his back and the wind was knocked out of his lungs. Alec had been restrained the same way. Mark could hear him cursing through his choking sounds. Mark kicked and twisted his body, trying to turn and face his attacker, but strong hands gripped him under the arms and yanked him off the ground. They started dragging him down the slope of the mountain, toward the fire. Chapter 24 Mark finally stopped struggling when someone punched him in the face, sending a burst of pain through his cheek. The effort to escape was pointless, he realized. He relaxed and let them drag him wherever it was they wanted to take him. He saw Alec struggling against two large men and watched as they tightened the rope further around his neck. The old man's choking sounds made Mark's heart want to break open. Stop it! he yelled. Alec, just stop! They're going to kill you! Of course, the old bear paid no attention, just kept fighting. Eventually, they were dragged into the clearing where the fire still roared. Even as Mark saw it, he noticed a woman step up and throw two more logs on top of the inferno. It flared and spit out glowing red sparks. His captor dragged him around the bonfire and dumped him in front of the two rows of people. They stopped chanting 
and all their eyes focused on Mark and Alec. He coughed and spit, his neck burning from the rope, then tried to sit up. A tall man, probably the guy who'd dragged him down there, put his big boot on Mark's chest and pressed him back to the ground. Stay down, he said, not angry or upset. He just said it matter-of-factly, like he didn't think Mark would even consider disobeying. It had taken two men to bring Alec down the mountain, and Mark was shocked they'd succeeded even then. They dumped him next to Mark. The soldier grunted and groaned, but didn't resist because they still had the other end of the rope that was tied around his neck. He went into a long coughing fit, then spit a wad of blood into the dirt. Why are you doing this? Mark asked no one in particular. He lay flat on his back and stared up at the canopy of branches and the reflection of the flames on the leaves. We're not here to hurt you guys. We just want to know who you are, what you're doing. That's why you asked about Dee Dee? He looked and saw a woman standing a few feet away. By the shape of her body, he could tell it was the lady who'd spoke to them higher on the mountain. Mark was incredulous at her lack of emotion. So it was you who left her. Why? And why are we prisoners now? We just want some answers. Alec suddenly burst into a flurry of movement, grabbing the rope and pulling it as he leapt to his feet. It came loose from the men holding it, and Alec jumped at them, hurtling forward with his shoulder out like a battering ram. He slammed into the side of one of the men, tackling him to the ground. They landed with a heavy thump, and Alec punched away, landing a couple of shots before two other men were on him, jerking him off the guy's body. Another one came in as well, and between the three of them they were able to throw Alec on his back, pin his arms and legs down. The guy he'd tackled scrambled to his feet and came at the old man, kicked him in the ribs three times in a row. Stop it! Mark yelled. Stop it! He jerked on his own rope and started to get up, but the boot came back, slamming him into the dirt once again. Do not, I repeat, do not move again, his captor said, once more using that flat monotone. The others were still punching and kicking Alec, but the former soldier refused to give in, struggling to fight back despite his odds. Alec, Mark pleaded, you need to stop or they're really going to kill you. What good will you be to us if you're dead? The words finally got through the man's thick, stubborn skull. He stilled, then slowly curled into a ball, his face set in a fierce grimace of pain. Almost shaking with rage, Mark turned his attention back to the woman, who was just standing there, watching it all with that maddening lack of emotion. Who are you people? he asked. It was all he could get out, but he tried to inject as much anger as he could into the words. The woman stared at him for a few seconds before answering. You are unwelcome intruders. And now you'll tell me about Dee Dee. Is the girl with you? At your camp somewhere? Why do you care? You left her behind. What, are you scared she's going to sneak into your camp and make you all sick? She's fine. There's nothing wrong with her. We have our reasons, the woman replied. The spirits speak and we follow their orders. Since the rain of demons from the sky, we've left our village, seeking holier places. Many of our people broke away, refused to join us. They're out there somewhere, 
probably scheming with the demons themselves. Perhaps you are a spy for them. Mark couldn't believe the absurd words coming out of this lady's mouth. You'd leave a sweet little girl to die because she might be sick? No wonder the other people from your village didn't stick with you. The woman looked genuinely confused. Listen, boy, the others are much more dangerous than we are. They attack without warning, kill without conscience. The world is beset with evil in many forms, and we can take no risks, especially since you invoked the name of Didi. You are prisoners, and you'll be dealt with. To release you would risk alerting those who wish us harm. Mark stared at her, his mind spinning. He had a sudden feeling of foreboding. The more this woman spoke, the more he felt it. Didi told us that the darts came from the sky. We saw the dead bodies in your little settlement. The same thing happened to us. All we're trying to do is find out why. That girl brought the evil upon us. Her evil ways led to it. Why do you think we left her behind? If you've rescued her and brought her near to us, then you've done something more horrible than you could dream. What is this load of horse crap? Alec finally choked out. We've got bigger problems than you can dream, lady. You need to let us go, Mark quickly added before Alec could say anything more. The man might have been the toughest guy in their group, but he was the last choice to be a negotiator. We're just trying to find a safe place to live. Please, I promise we'll just walk away. We won't tell anyone about you, and we won't bring Dee Dee anywhere close if you don't want us to. We can take care of her. It saddens me how little you grasp, the woman responded. Truly. Mark wanted to scream, but forced himself to stay composed. Look, let's take turns explaining things to each other then. Would that be fair? I want to understand. And I really, really need you to understand us. Can you just talk instead of treating us like animals? When she didn't respond... He grasped for something to keep the conversation going. So, how about we start from the beginning? How we got to these mountains? She had a wide, vacant look in her eyes now. I always believed that the demons would try to be nice when they came for us. You tricked us into bringing you down here, tying you up, so you could be nice and trick us again. Demons. All of you. She gave a stiff nod to one of the men standing near Mark and Alec. The man drew his foot back and kicked Mark in the ribs. Pain exploded in his side and he cried out, unable to help himself. The man kicked him again, this time in the back, right in the kidney. A deep ache washed through Mark, and tears stung his eyes as he cried out even louder. Alec protested. Stop it, you sorry son of a... His words were cut off when one of his captors reached down and punched him in the face. Why are you doing this? Mark yelled. We're not demons. You people have lost your minds. Another kick pierced him in the ribs, the pain unbearable. He balled up, wrapped his arms around himself, prepared for the continued onslaught, knowing he had no chance of escape. Stop! The word rumbled through the air from the other side of the fire, 
the deep, bellowing voice of a man. The men beating Mark and Alec immediately jumped back from them and knelt down, their faces lowered. The woman also got to her knees and looked at the ground. Mark, still wincing from the pain, straightened out his legs, trying to see who had spoken the simple but effective command. He caught movement through the flames and followed it as a man stepped into view and approached him. When he was within a few feet, he stopped, and Mark's eyes traced a path from his booted feet up his denim-clad legs, his tight-plaid shirt, to his face, which was hideously scarred, almost inhuman. It made Mark want to look away, but he didn't let himself. He matched gazes with the disfigured stranger, staring into those piercing, wounded eyes. The man had no hair, and he had no ears. Chapter 25 My name is Jedediah, the man said. His lips were yellow and malformed, twisted to one side. He had a strange lisp, and there was a tonelessness to his voice. But my followers call me Jed. You will call me Jed, because I can see that you've been mistreated, and you are now my friends. Is this understood? Mark nodded, but all Alec did was grunt something unintelligible. Defiant to the end, the old soldier had sat up when their attackers had ordered the two of them to lie on their backs. But the men who'd been beating them just moments earlier were all kneeling as if in prayer. Mark sat up too, hoping there would be no consequence. If anything, Jed looked pleased. Very good, the man said. It looks like we're finally making some kind of peace. He walked over and sat down between them and the fire, the flames at his back. Their flickering light made the outline of his head appear wet and glistening, almost as if it were melting all over again. Melting. That was what Mark had concluded had happened to the poor guy. Did the sun flares do that to you? he asked. Jed chuckled for a few seconds, but there was nothing pleasant or cheerful about the sound. More like disturbing. <laughs> it always tickles my funny bone when someone refers to the demon plague that way. When it occurred, yes. I thought it was merely a celestial event that happened to take place in Earth's path. Coincidence. Misfortune. Bad luck. Those are words that went through my head at the time. And now you think it was big, bad demons raining from the sky? Alec asked, his tone making it clear what a crackpot idea he thought it was. Mark shot him a glance and felt awful. Blood covered the man's face, and welts and bruises had already appeared from the brutal beating he'd been given. It's happened twice now, Jed replied, showing no sign that he'd noticed Alec's sarcasm. Both times it came from the heavens— once from the sun, once from the ships. We think they may visit annually, to punish us for becoming lax, and to remind us of what we need to become. Twice, sun and ships, Mark repeated. So, the sun flares, and then the darts from the berg? Jed's head snapped right and left, then focused on Mark again. What in the world? Yes, twice the man said, as if what he'd just done was totally normal. 
and again it both saddens and humors me that you don't see the importance of the events. It means your mind hasn't evolved yet to be able to see them for what they really are. Demons, Mark said, almost rolling his eyes before he stopped himself just in time. Demons. Yes. Demons. They burned my face, melted it into what you see today. That way I can never forget my calling. And then came the little arrows from the ships, filled with their hatred. It's been two months now, and we still mourn those who lost their lives that day. It's why we build the fires and sing the songs and dance the dance. And we fear those from our village who decided not to join us. They work with the demons, undoubtedly. Wait, two months? Alec asked. What do you mean, two months? Yes, Jed replied slowly, as if talking to a confused child. We count the days solemnly, every one. It's been two months and three days. Whoa, 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 Mark said. It couldn't have been that long. It happened to us just a few days ago. I don't like it. When people doubt my words, Jed said, his tone changing drastically in the middle of his sentence. It suddenly turned threatening. How can you sit there and accuse me of lying? Why would I lie about such a thing? I've tried to make peace with you. Give you a second chance in this life, and this is how you repay me? His voice had risen in volume with every passing word until he was shouting, his body trembling. It... it makes my head hurt! Mark could tell Alec was about to explode, so he quickly reached over and squeezed his arm. Don't, he whispered. Just don't. Then he returned his attention to Jed. No, listen, please. It's not like that. We just want to understand. Our village had the arrows from the ships rain down on us less than a week ago. So we assumed the same about you. And you said that people died the day it happened. We saw bodies of people who seemed to have died more recently. Just help us understand. Mark had the feeling that there was some important information to be learned from these people. He didn't think the man was lying about the time frame. There was something here. Jed had raised his hands to place them where his ears should have been on his head and was slowly swaying from side to side. People died right away. Then others later. More suffering as time passed. More dying. Our village split into factions. All the demons work. He started moaning, almost chanting. We believe you, Mark said. We just want to understand. Please, just talk to us. Tell us what happened, step by step. He tried to keep the frustration out of his voice, but he couldn't. How was he supposed to do this? You've made the pain come back. Jed said tightly, still swaying. His arms were rigid, his elbows sticking straight out as he continued to hold his head in his hands. It looked as if he were trying to crush his own skull. 
It hurts so much. I can't. I have to. You must be from the demons. It's the only explanation. Mark knew his time was running out. We're not, I swear. We're here because we want to learn from you. Maybe your head is hurting because you have knowledge that you're supposed to share with us. Alec dropped his head forward. They came two months ago, Jed said, his voice distant somehow. And then the death has come in waves, taking longer each time. Two days, five days, two weeks, a month. And we have people from our own village, people we once called friends, trying to kill us. We don't understand what the demons want. We don't understand. We don't understand. We dance. We sing. We make sacrifices. He fell to his knees, then collapsed to the ground, still pressing his hands against his head. He let out a long, pain-filled moan. Mark had reached the end of his patience. This was complete lunacy as far as he was concerned, and there was no way to deal with it rationally. He looked over at Alec, and he could tell by the fire in the man's eyes that he was ready to take another shot at escape. Their captors were still kneeling, faces lowered in some kind of sick worship of the man writhing in pain. It was now or never. Mark was just about to consider his next move, trying to focus over the moans and groans coming from Jed, when new sounds arose in the woods behind them, people yelling and screaming, laughing, making bird calls and other animal noises. Accompanied by the crunch of footsteps on the dry undergrowth of the forest, the creepy sounds continued, getting louder as the people got closer. Then, more alarmingly, the noises spread in a circle around the clearing of the bonfire until it was completely surrounded by a chorus of caws and cuckoos and roars and hysterical laughter. There had to be several dozen people making the noises. What now? Alex said with clear disgust. We warned you about them, the woman said from where she knelt. They used to be our friends, our family. Now the demons have taken them, and all they want is to torment us, to kill us. Jed suddenly reared up on his knees again, screaming at the top of his lungs. Violently he jerked his head down, then left and right, as if he were trying to knock something loose from his skull. Mark couldn't help but scoot backward, crab-walking until the rope around his neck grew taut. The other end was still in the hands of one of the kneeling men. Jed let out a piercing, horrific sound that cut off all the new ones coming from the forest around them. They've killed me, he yelled, the words ripping from his throat. The demons finally killed me. His body went rigid, his arms stiff at his sides, and he fell over, a last breath rushing from his mouth. His body stilled, and blood began to seep from his nose and mouth. Chapter 26 Mark was completely frozen, staring at Jed's body lying in an unnatural, twisted position. In all his life, Mark was pretty sure he'd never endured such a strange hour as he had since arriving at this camp of madness. And as if it couldn't have gotten any stranger, 
Now crazy people surrounded them out in the woods, making animal sounds and laughing hysterically. Mark slowly looked over at Alec. The man was stunned into silence, motionless as he stared at Jed. The movement and noises in the woods continued, catcalls and whistles and cheering and hooting, the cricks and cracks of footsteps. The men who'd been kneeling, and before that beating up Mark and Alec, stood up, looking at their ropes as if they weren't quite sure what to do with them. They glanced at their prisoners, then at each other, then back at the ropes. The two lines of singers behind them were doing much the same, searching about like someone should be telling them how to react. It was as if Jed had been some kind of link they all shared, and now that it had been severed, his followers were confused and unable to function. Alec acted first, clearly wanting to take advantage of the situation. He began fumbling with the rope tied around his neck, finally getting his fingers underneath it enough to work it loose. Mark was scared that would snap the men out of their dazed state and cause them to retaliate, but they actually dropped their ends of the ropes in response. Mark immediately followed Alec's example and worked at his own noose, finally getting it loose. He pulled it up and around his head until he was free, just as Alec was slamming his to the ground. Let's get out of this place, the older man grumbled. But what about their friends out there? Mark asked. They have us surrounded. He let out a big sigh. Come on, we'll just have to fight our way through if they try to stop us. Leave them to these yahoos. The woman who'd first spoken to them came over, her gait hurried and her face filled with worry. All we've done is try to keep the demons at bay, nothing more. And look how you've ruined our efforts. How could you lead our enemies here? She winced after saying it and stumbled a step backward, holding a hand up to her temple. How could you? she whispered. I'm really sorry, Alec grumbled as he stepped around her and moved toward the fire. There was a long piece of wood that was half in and half out of the roaring flames. He picked up the unburnt side and held the thing up like a torch. This ought to make them think twice before they try anything. Come on, kid. Mark looked back at the woman, who was obviously experiencing head pain, and things began to click into place. I said come on, Alec yelled at him. In that moment, dozens of people came tearing out of the surrounding woods with fists raised in the air, yelling. There were women and men and children, all with the same crazed expression of rage mixed with glee. Mark, sure he'd never seen anything like it, sprang into action, following Alec's lead, and grabbing a log out of the fire. Flames erupted from its tip as he swung it through the air, and he held it in front of him like a sword. The wave of attackers crashed into the rows of singers, jumping on them with animalistic cries of battle. Two men leaped into the air and straight into the bonfire. As Mark watched in horror, their clothes and hair ignited, screams tore from their throats as they stumbled out of the flames. But it was too late. Engulfed and burning alive, they ran out into the woods, sure to set the whole forest on fire. Mark turned back to the chanting villagers. They were being beaten and choked. He was surrounded by chaos. It was too much to take in. Mark! Alec screamed from nearby. Not sure if you noticed, but we're being attacked. Please, a woman cried behind Mark. Take me with you. He whipped around to see the lady who'd ordered them beaten, 
and almost burned her with the end of his torch. She seemed transformed, meek. But before he could respond, they were suddenly in the middle of what seemed like a thousand-person fistfight. Mark was pushed and shoved. To his surprise, he realized that it wasn't just the new people versus the old. Many of the attackers were actually pummeling each other. He saw a woman fall into the fire, her screams filling the air. Someone grabbed Mark by the shirt and yanked him to the side. He was just about to rear back with his weapon when he realized it was Alec. You have a knack for getting yourself killed, the man yelled. I didn't know where to start or what to do, Mark countered. Sometimes you just act. He let go of Mark's shirt, and they took off in the same direction, up the slope, away from the fire. But there were people all around them. Mark swung his torch in front of him as he ran. But then someone tackled him from behind. He dropped the burning log and landed face first in the dirt. An instant later he heard a thump and a cry of pain, and the body flew off of him. He looked up to see Alec bringing his foot down from a kick. Get up, the man yelled. But the last word had barely come out of his mouth when he was slammed to the ground by a man and a woman. Mark scrambled to his feet, grabbed the torch he'd dropped, ran to where Alec was struggling with his two attackers. He drove the burning point into the back of the man's neck. The guy screamed and grabbed his throat, falling off Alec. Then Mark hauled the log back and swung it as hard as he could, connecting with the side of the woman's head. All Mark could hear was fire burning as she toppled off Alec. Mark reached down, grabbed Alec's hand, helped him to his feet. More people rushed in on them, at least five or six. Mark whipped his log around, forgetting all control and just handing himself over to instinct and adrenaline. He smacked a man, then pulled his weapon back around and hit a woman right in the nose. He drove it forward at a man coming straight for him, thrust its tip into his stomach, and watched as his clothes ignited. Alec was next to Mark. He was punching and kicking and elbowing and picking people up, tossing them away like bags of garbage. At some point he'd lost the torch he'd grabbed, too busy using both hands to fight off the attackers. The man was every bit the soldier he'd once been. An arm slipped around Mark's neck from behind and yanked him off his feet, started squeezing the breath out of him. Mark gripped the log in both hands, then hammered it backward in desperation. He missed, pulled it back, then tried again, swinging it with every bit of strength he could muster, while the oxygen rushed from his lungs. He felt the solid blow as he connected, heard the crunch of cartilage and the man's scream. Sweet air rushed into his chest as the arm loosened its grip. Mark fell to the ground, sucking the life back into his lungs. Alec was bent over to catch his own breath. They had a slight reprieve, but one look showed that more people were coming their way. Alec helped Mark to his feet. They turned up slope and half-crawled, half-climbed into the thicker cover of the trees. Mark heard the cries of pursuit behind them. These people didn't want anyone escaping. He and Alec hit a spot that was a little flatter and burst into an all-out sprint. And that was when Mark spotted it, about a hundred yards ahead of them. A huge section of the forest was engulfed in flames. Between them and their camp. Where they'd left Trina... Lana and Dee Dee. Chapter 27 The trees and shrubbery of the woods were already half dead, a tinderbox ready to light up, 
It had been a few weeks since the last torrential storm, and anything that had regrown since the flares was parched. Misty tendrils of smoke bled along the ground at their feet, and the smell of burning wood laced the air. It's gonna spread like wildfire, Alex shouted. Mark thought he was joking, but the man looked grave. It is a wildfire, he shouted back. But Alec had already started running straight toward the distant flames, which seemed to have grown in the moments since it had begun. Mark set off after him, knowing they had to make it to the other side of the inferno before it got too big. They had to get to Trina and Dee Dee and Lana. The two of them tore through the undergrowth, kicking past thick briars, dodging trees and low-hanging limbs. The sound of pursuit still rang out from behind, but it had lessened as if even their deranged pursuers understood it was crazy to head into a forest fire. But Mark could hear lingering catcalls and whistles haunting the woods. He ran on, throwing all of his focus into making it back to Trina. The fire got closer, crackling and spitting and roaring. A wind had picked up, fanning the flames. A huge branch toppled from far above and crashed through the canopy, throwing sparks everywhere until it finally hit the ground. Alec continued to head for the heart of the blazing section of woods, not slowing down, as if his one final goal was to run to a fiery death and end it all. "'Shouldn't we veer off?' Mark shouted up to him. "'Where are you going?' Alec answered without turning back, and Mark had to strain to hear him. "'I want to be as close as possible. Run along its edges so we know exactly where we are.' and maybe lose those psychos while we're at it. Do you know exactly where we are? Mark was moving as quickly as he could, but the soldier still stayed ahead of him. Yes, came the curt reply, but he pulled out his compass and looked at it as he ran. The smoke had grown thicker, making it hard to breathe. The fire took up Mark's entire field of vision now, the flames close and high and illuminating the night. The heat surged out in waves, washing across Mark's face only to be sucked away by the wind gusting from behind him. But as they got closer, now only a few dozen feet away, the waves didn't matter anymore. The temperature had skyrocketed. Mark was drenched in sweat and was so hot it felt as if his skin might melt. Just when he thought Alec might have lost his marbles after all, the man suddenly made a sharp turn to the right, running parallel to the expanding line of flames. Mark stayed as close to him as he could, putting his life in the former soldier's hands for the umpteenth time since they'd met in the subtrans tunnels. Intense heat pulsed across his body as he ran, sweltering wind from the left, cooler air from the right. His clothes were so hot against his skin they felt as if they might combust at any second, even though they were drenched in sweat. His hair was dry, though, any moisture sucked away by the searing air. He imagined the follicles on the cusp of drying out and falling to the ground like pine needles. And his eyes. They felt as if they were being baked in their sockets. He squinted and rubbed them, tried to force tears, but there was nothing. He ran on, mimicking Alec with every step, hoping they'd round the fire and break away from it before he died of thirst and heat exhaustion. The sound of the flames was the only thing he heard now. A constant roar, like the ignited thrusters of a thousand bergs. Suddenly, a woman came tearing through the woods from the right just ahead, the fire a glint in the madness of her eyes. Mark prepared himself for a fight, 
expecting the woman to turn and attack them. But she ran across their path in front of Alec. If she'd been a little slower, he would have plowed right over her body. The woman ran, silent and determined, her feet crashing through the undergrowth. She tripped and fell, got back up, and then she disappeared in the wall of flames, and her screams cut short. Alec and Mark kept running. Finally, they reached the edge of the expanding inferno, the line of it far more distinct than Mark would have expected. They kept the same distance, but it felt good, sent a burst of fresh adrenaline through his body, to be turning toward the left, turning toward Trina and the others again. Mark ran even harder, almost tripped Alec's feet up when he caught up to him. Then they were side by side. Every breath was a chore for Mark. The air scalded his throat as it went down, and the smoke was like poison. We gotta get away from this thing. I know, Alec shouted back, bursting into a long fit of coughing. He quickly glanced at the compass gripped in the palm of his hand. Almost there. Soon they rounded another corner of the main body of flames, and this time Alec veered to the right, heading away from the fire. Mark followed, realizing that he was completely disoriented now. He didn't think it was time to head straight again, but he trusted the old man. They trampled through the woods with renewed energy, going faster than ever. Mark could feel the fresher air with every breath he sucked into his lungs. The volume of the inferno's roar also died down enough that he could hear the crunching sounds of his footsteps again. Alec stopped suddenly. Mark ran past him a few steps before he could do the same. He turned to Alec and asked if he was okay. The man was leaning against a tree, his chest heaving as he took in short bursts of breath. He nodded, then buried his head in the crook of his arm with a loud groan. Mark bent over, hands on his knees, relishing the chance to rest. The wind had died down, and the fire seemed at a somewhat safe distance now. Man, you had me worried there for a while. I'm not sure that was the brightest thing ever to run so close to a raging inferno. Alec looked over at him, but his face was mostly hidden in shadow. You're probably right, but it's easy to get turned around in a place like this at night. I was dead set on keeping the path we'd followed straight in my head. He checked his compass, then pointed at a spot over Mark's shoulder. Our little camp is that way. Mark looked around and saw nothing that distinguished that part of the woods. How do you know? All I see is a bunch of trees. Just because I know. Strange noises filled the night, mixed in with the steady roar of the fire. Screams and laughter. It was impossible to tell which direction they were coming from. Looks like those crazy buggers are still running around looking for trouble, Alex said through a groan. Crazy buggers is right. I was hoping they'd all die in the fire. Mark said it before realizing how terrible it sounded. But the side of him that wanted to survive at all costs, that had become ruthless over the last year, knew it was the truth. He didn't want to have to worry about them anymore. He didn't want to spend the rest of the night and the next day looking over his shoulder. If wishes were fishes, Alex said. He took a deep, long breath. Okay. We better hurry and meet back up with the three ladies. They started jogging, a little slower than earlier, but not much. The return of those sounds, 
even though they didn't seem too close at the moment, obviously had them both on edge. A few minutes later, Alec changed course, changed again. He stopped at one point, got his bearings, poked around a bit, then pointed down a slope. Ah, he said. It's right down there. They set off that way, slipping and sliding as the descent got steeper. The wind had shifted, blowing back toward the fire, filling their lungs with fresh air, and easing that concern, at least temporarily. Mark had grown so used to the light from the flames that he'd failed to notice that dawn had crept up on them. The sky through the branches above him was now purple instead of black, and he could faintly see where he was going. The landscape grew familiar, and suddenly they were back at the camp. Their things were still laid out exactly as they'd left them. But there was no sign of Trina or the others. A little seed of panic sprouted inside Mark's chest. Trina? he yelled. Trina! He and Alec quickly combed the surrounding area, calling their friends' names as they did. But all was quiet. Chapter 28 Mark could barely contain himself. Of all the crap they'd been through, at least he and Trina had never really been separated before. It had only taken ten minutes of her being missing for the most sinking feeling of helplessness to hit him. There's no way, he said to Alec as they searched in widening circles around the camp. He heard the desperation in his own voice. There's no way they'd just march off while we were gone. Not without at least leaving us a note or something. He ran a hand through his hair, then yelled for no reason other than anger and frustration. Alec was doing a much better job of keeping his cool. Calm down, boy. You need to remember two things. One, Lana is as tough as I am, and a whole lot smarter. And two, you're forgetting the details. What do you mean? Mark asked. Yes, you're right. Under normal circumstances, they would have stayed here until we got back. But these circumstances aren't normal. There's a forest fire raging nearby and crazy people running through the woods making horror movie noises. Would you just sit here and twiddle your thumbs? That didn't make Mark feel better at all. So, you think they went looking for us? What if we passed them on the way back here? He squeezed his hands into fists and pressed them against his eyes. They could be anywhere. Alec marched over to him and grabbed his shoulders. Mark, what's come over you? Calm down, son. Mark dropped his hands and looked into Alec's eyes, which were hard and gray in the low light of dawn, but also filled with genuine concern. I'm sorry. I'm just... I'm freaking out here. What are we going to do? We're going to keep our wits about us, and we're going to stay calm, and we're going to think. And then we're going to go out there and find Lana and the others. They have a little girl with them, Mark said quietly. What if somehow those people who attacked us got here first? Took them. Then we'll get them back. But I need you to pull yourself together, or that'll never happen. You got it? Mark closed his eyes and nodded, did his best to slow his racing heart and dampen the panic that flared in him. Alec would figure things out. He always did. Mark finally looked at the soldier again. 
Okay. I'm okay. Sorry. Good. That's better. Alec took a step back and studied the ground. It's getting light enough now. We need to find any sign of what path they took. Broken branches, footprints, cleared undergrowth, whatever. Start searching. Mark did, desperate to get his mind occupied with something other than imagining every horrible scenario possible. The sounds of the fire and the occasional scream or laugh still floated through the air, but they seemed distant, at least for the moment. He swept the area, carefully studying every spot before he dared take another step, his head swiveling up and down, side to side, like some kind of robotic scavenger unit. All they needed was one major clue, and then they could probably pick up the trail more easily. Mark felt an almost competitive vibe take over him. He wanted to be the one to find something first. He had to, to make himself feel better, to feel like they'd been set on a path to relieve his panicked thoughts. He couldn't lose Trina. Not now. Alec was working about twenty feet farther outside the camp, actually on his hands and knees, and literally sniffing along like a dog. He looked ridiculous, but there was something about it that touched Mark. The old grizzly bear rarely showed the slightest hint of emotion, unless he was yelling or screaming or pounding on something, or someone, but he often showed how much he genuinely cared. Mark had no doubt the man would give his life today if it meant saving one of their three missing friends. Could Mark say the same about himself? Both Mark and Alec came across obvious signs of passage. Broken twigs, shoe impressions in the dirt, shifted branches on trees or bushes. But each time they concluded that they'd been the ones who'd caused it. After a half hour or so, this made Mark realize that they were combing the area between the camp and the direction they'd gone last night. He stopped and stood up straight. Hey, Alec! he said. The man was on his hands and knees, leaning his face into the middle of a bush. He grunted something that kind of sounded like a, Yeah. Why are we spending so much time on this side of where we left them? Alec pulled himself out of the bush and looked back at him. Seemed logical. I'd think they either followed us out of here to find us, or they were taken by the same yahoos who attacked us. Or maybe they went to investigate the fire. Mark thought that was all barking up the wrong tree. Or they ran away from the fire. Not every person on earth is as wacky-brained as you, good sir. Most people see a huge roaring inferno coming at them. They decide to cut and run. Just saying. No, I don't think so. Alec had shifted all his weight to his knees, stretching his back. Lana's not a coward. She wouldn't save herself and leave us to die. Mark was shaking his head before the soldier even finished. You've got to think this through. Lana has the same worship complex of you that you have of her. She'll think you are safe and taking care of yourself just fine and dandy. She'd also consider the circumstances top to bottom and decide the best course of action to take. Am I right or am I right? Alex shrugged, then glared at him. So you think after all that... Lana would leave us to die at the hands of some crazies and run for her life? She didn't know we were in the hands of people like that. We told her we were just going to take a look, remember? 
Then she probably heard more sounds, heard and saw the fire coming. I bet she went monster logic on us and decided she'd better run toward the Berg headquarters, and that we'd decided the same thing. Rendezvous there. You did point out the general direction we needed to go. Alec was nodding and grumbling, impossible to read. Not to mention that she has a civilian. He made quotation marks in the air when he said that last word. And a little girl who's probably terrified. I highly doubt Lana would leave them alone to come after us or take the others closer to danger. Alec got to his feet and brushed the dirt off his knees. Okay, boy, you can quit going on about it. You sold me. But what's your point? He had the slightest smile on his face, barely there. And Mark knew why. The bear was enjoying this, watching his pupil figure things out on his own. Mark pointed to the other side of the camp, toward the spot Alec had identified the day before as the direction they needed to go. The headquarters of that burg awaited. The place where they'd find the people who had ruined their lives once again. Like I said, Alec spoke with an exaggerated sigh. You sold me. Come on, let's start looking over there. He winked at Mark as he walked past, but then gave him a scowl. Mark laughed. You are one strange little man. Alec stopped and faced him. That's what my mama used to say. She'd wake me up in the morning, give me a little kiss and a hug, and she'd say, My sweet Alec, you are one strange little man. Got to me every time, right here. He patted his heart, then rolled his eyes dramatically. Let's get to work. See? Mark said as he followed. Do I need any more proof? Strange. Little. Man. Officially proven. You got one word right. I'm definitely a man. I'm all man, baby. He let out a strangled, choking sound that might have been a laugh. They stepped more carefully when they made it to the area Mark had indicated, and soon they were back at it, searching every square inch for a telltale sign of a trail. Mark paused to take in the sounds that had become background noise, barely there until you focused on it. The roaring, crackling, spitting forest fire, still safely distant but getting closer, and the occasional hoot or holler or laugh of their new unfriendly friends. Again, safely distant, though it was hard to tell where the sounds were coming from. The air had begun to look hazy from the smoke now that the sun was up to reveal it. Found something, Alec announced. Be careful, he yelled, when Mark tramped over to see for himself. Oh, sorry. He slowed down and crept over to stand next to the soldier. Alec was on his knees, leaning back on his feet. He had a stick in his hand and used it as a pointer. There's about three bushes in a row that have been walked through, and by more than one person for sure. See the smashed part there? The broken branch there? The footsteps here and there? He gestured at one nearby. Mark leaned forward and saw it. Small. Just the right size for Dee Dee. There's only one problem, Alec continued, something heavy in his voice. What? Mark asked quickly. Alec used the stick to poke a spot, just above the ground where the others had passed, of leaves clumped together. Their shiny green faces had been sprayed with small drops of blood. Chapter 29
Mark didn't allow himself to have the same panic attack this time. But he went dead silent, his insides cold and his hands slicked with sweat. He imagined that his face was pale too. But he forced himself to remain calm as Alex stood and slowly made his way along the trail they'd found. With growing dismay, Alec pointed out more spots of blood along the path. There wasn't much, but there was enough to see. It's hard to say how serious an injury we're talking about. I've seen bloody noses spurt this much out, but I've also seen a guy with his arm blown off who hardly bled a drop. The explosion cauterized him right clean. Not helping, Mark muttered. Alec shot a glance back at him. Sorry, kid. I'm trying to say I don't think this is all bad news. Whoever's hurt might just have a bad cut. People have survived more blood loss than this many a time. If anything, maybe it'll help us keep on their trail. Alec moved on again, his head swinging back and forth as he walked, taking it all in. Mark followed on his heels, trying hard not to look at the trail of blood. He just couldn't. Not until his nerves settled a bit. He hoped this wasn't some kind of wild goose chase, or worse, a trap. Anything else that lets us know it's definitely Trina in them? he asked. Alec stopped and leaned far down to examine some dirt next to a trampled bush. Based on the pattern, I'd say it's our pretty little group that came through here. I can see their footsteps well enough. And he flicked a nervous glance backward. And what? Well, I haven't seen Deedee's in a while, so my guess is that someone started carrying the poor thing back there. He jabbed a thumb over his shoulder. So maybe she's the one who got hurt, Mark concluded, the thought of it making his stomach fall. Maybe, maybe she just fell and skinned a knee or something. Yeah, Alec replied numbly. But the other thing is, Mark had never seen the man so hesitant to speak before. Would you just spit it out, man? What's going on? When they came through here, Alex said quietly, seemingly oblivious to Mark's rebuke. They were definitely running. And running pell-mell. All the signs add up. The length of their strides, the smashed bushes, the broken shrubbery and branches. He met Mark's eyes. Like they were being chased. That gave Mark a lump in the back of his throat until he remembered something. But you just said you could only see three sets of footprints. Is there any sign that somebody might have been going after them? Alec looked up, then pointed. Things fly around these parts, remember? As if they needed one more thing to worry about. Don't you think we would have heard if a bird came swooping in and chased our friends down the mountain? In the middle of what we just got done with? Maybe not. Might have been something besides a berg, anyway. Mark gave another weary glance upward. Let's just keep moving. The two of them followed the path, Mark hoping the whole time they didn't find more blood. Or worse. The signs of Trina, Lana, and Didi's passage continued into a long, low ravine that made its way toward an almost hidden canyon. Mark hadn't noticed the walls of the mountains to their sides getting taller, and the slope was gradual enough that he didn't really feel like they were descending very quickly.
especially being surrounded by the woods and spending most of his time studying the land for clues and traces of their friends. But one minute they were traveling along through a thick copse of trees, the next they came out into a wide clearing bordered by canyon walls of gray granite. They were so steep that only a little vegetation grew in small clumps here and there. Alec pulled out his handwritten map and stopped. We're here. He made Mark step back and hid the two of them behind the large trunk of an oak. Really? Almost certain this valley is where that berg returned after every trip. Mark peeked around the tree and examined the tall, foreboding walls. A little dangerous to fly down into this place, don't you think? Maybe, but also perfect to hide yourself. There has to be a landing zone somewhere close, and an entrance to wherever they call home. I still think it might be an old government bunker, especially being this close to Asheville. The city is just on the other side of this canyon. Yeah. Something was troubling, Mark. So, what are the odds that Lana and them would get chased this far? I'm really worried they got taken. Maybe not. Lana knows that wandering around the mountains looking for us wouldn't amount to a hill of beans. Better to make a beeline for the one spot that's most obviously a rendezvous point. Here. Then where are they? Alec didn't answer. Something had caught his attention out in the clearing. We might both be right, he finally whispered. His gravelly voice sounded ominous. What is it? Stay low and follow me. Alec got on his hands and knees and crawled out from around the tree, keeping under the line of shrubs and bushes. Mark did the same and followed him out into the clearing, certain that a berg was going to come barreling in with dart guns over their heads any second. They kept to the barely discernible path where Mark assumed Trina and the others had walked. At first, he had thought that maybe the bergs landed in the clearing, but there was no sign of such a spot whatsoever. The vegetation had grown pretty thick. Alec hacked his way through it for about thirty feet, then stopped. Mark poked his head around the man and saw that there was a large spot where the bushes had been trampled and crushed. An obvious sign of struggle. His heart dropped. Oh, no, was all he could get out. Alec's head hung low. He shifted to crouch even lower. You were right. Somebody took them here, no doubt. Look, the bushes are beat to death on the other side, like twenty people marched across it. Mark had to push down the panic again. So what do we do? Go back and hide or go after them? Not so loud, kid, or they're going to be on top of us, too. Let's just go back, Mark whispered. Regroup. Decide what to do. He had the urge to chase after the trail, but his wiser side told him they needed to think it through first. We don't have time to... A loud clanging sound cut the man off, a metallic bang that shot through the air like a cannon. Mark dropped to his stomach, half expecting the canyon walls to come crashing down on top of him. What was that? he asked. But before Alec could answer, the sound came again, a quick, ear-splitting boom that shook the ground, which continued to tremble even after the noise ceased, vibrating so much that the bushes around them danced. Mark and Alec met each other's gaze, 
not sure what was going on. The noise rocked the air yet again, and the land beneath them suddenly started to rise toward the sky. Chapter 30 Mark jumped to his feet, pulling Alec's arm. The entire area around them shook as it rose, and it took all of Mark's effort not to fall again. He knew that what was happening had to be impossible, and it made him wonder about his mental state. But the ground at their feet was slowly rising, tilting as it did so. He looked around frantically, so dumbfounded and confused he didn't know what to do. Alec seemed to be in the same stupor. Mark snapped out of it first. His mind cleared and he noticed several things at once. First, it wasn't like the entire valley was vaulting toward the sky because of an earthquake or massive shifting of the Earth's crust. It was only a small area, the clearing where they stood. The trees surrounding them were still and calm, the branches not so much as swaying with a wind. Second, the slow but steadily increasing tilt of the moving land made him realize that half of it was actually sinking into the ground, and the whole thing looked to be in the shape of a circle. Third, there was a low metallic grinding sound. It's man-made, he yelled, already on the run with Alec. Swinging open on some kind of pivot. Alec nodded briskly and picked up the pace. They were both running sideways to the angle of the slope, aiming to make it to a spot where they could jump off the shifting disk of land. It was moving slowly enough that the initial burst of panic left Mark and was replaced by curiosity. They were obviously standing on some sort of massive trap door. But why was it so? He and Alec ran the last few steps, reaching the side of the rotating section of ground at the point of the pivot, only having to jump a couple of feet to safety. They scrambled away to the line of trees and dropped down, slipping behind the same large oak as before for cover. Mark poked his head out to watch the continuation of the spectacle. The upper edge of the circular cutout was now thirty feet in the air, the lower edge fully sunk into the ground and out of sight. It kept rotating to the grind of the laboring gears, which sounded louder now. Looks like a coin flipping, Alec muttered. A really big one, flipping really slowly, Mark agreed. Within another minute or so, the round piece of land was exactly vertical, half in the ground and half out, still rotating. Soon the earth and bushes were descending upside down, and Mark could finally see what lay on the opposite side of the coin. A flat, gray, concrete-like surface with small grooves cut across it in perfectly straight lines. It wouldn't be long before the large circle rested flat on the valley floor, facing the sky and waiting for something to land on it. Hooks and chains were scattered across the circle of gray for securing whatever did land. A landing spot, Mark thought. A landing spot for the berg. Or bergs. Why aren't the dirt and plants sliding off the other side, he asked. Looks like magic. Probably fake as a rubber glove, answered the soldier. Wouldn't do if they had to come out and resod the whole thing every time they used it, now would it? It sure looks real. Or did. He watched in fascination. The piece of moving land had to be a couple of hundred feet across. Do you think they saw us? Surely they have cameras out here. Alec shrugged. You'd think so. 
All we can do is hope they're not looking real hard. The coin of land was now at a 45-degree angle, and within minutes of completely sealing the hole in the earth. Mark wondered if Alec was thinking the same thing he was. Should we do it? he asked him. A berg might be landing any second. This is our chance. At first the man seemed surprised, as if Mark had read his mind. Then a knowing grin crept across his face. It might be the only way to get inside, eh? Maybe. It's now or never. Cameras and guards? It's a big risk. But they have our friends. Alec nodded slowly. Said like a true soldier. Let's go, then. Mark got to his feet but stayed crouched down, leaning against the tree as he snuck out from behind it. He had to move before he changed his mind, and he knew Alec would be right on his heels. There was still about a fifteen-foot open space between the edges of the moving disk and the real land that surrounded it. After a deep breath to psych himself up, Mark sprinted for the left side, wondering if shots would ring out or soldiers would rise out of the darkness in the gap, waiting for them. But nothing happened. They reached the side of the circle. Mark stopped and dropped to his knees a few feet away, then crawled forward to peek over the edge. Alec did the same, the two of them leaning over the opening. It gave Mark a sick feeling, knowing the descending piece of land was right above him. If it suddenly dropped the last bit without warning, it had cut them both in two. It was dark down below, but Mark could see a walkway made of silvery metal, mostly hidden in shadow, that encircled the huge space underneath. There was no light source and no sign of people. He glanced up and was alarmed at how close the leading edge of the circle had come. They had a couple of minutes, tops. We need to hang our feet down and swing onto that, Mark said, pointing at the walkway, a metal ledge. Think you can do that? he added with a grin. Alec was already on the move. A lot better than you, kid, he answered with a wink. Mark rolled onto his stomach and inched his body over the lip of the opening, lowering his feet into the abyss while he held on to the edge. He gripped the edge of the rim tightly, then began to swing his legs. Alec was two steps ahead of him. The man let go, flying forward to land on the walkway. He crumpled to the ground with a grunt, but looked okay. Mark fought off the thought that tried to lodge itself in his mind, of him missing or landing awkwardly, tumbling off to disappear into the darkness. He counted to three in his mind, timing it just right with his legs swinging backward, then letting go as they swung forward. His momentum made his gaze shift up when he let go, and he caught a last glimpse through the small crescent gap. He saw the flaming blue thrusters of a berg and its metal underbelly coming down from the sky above. Then he lost the view and crashed on top of Alec. Chapter 31 It took a moment for them to untangle their arms and legs. Alec was cursing and grunting, and at one point Mark started to slip off the edge, and the old man pulled him back up only to resume his cursing. Finally, they were standing, straightening their clothes. And then a huge boom sounded throughout the chamber as the mechanism above them slammed shut. Complete darkness enveloped them. Great, 
Mark heard Alex say. Can't see a thing. Pull out the work pad, Mark replied. I know the battery's almost dead, but we don't have much choice. After a grumble of agreement and a scuffling sound, the room lit up with the glow of the work pad's surface. For a second, Mark was back in the tunnels of the subtrans, running with Trina by the glow of his phone. The memories began to flood in, to drown him fully in the horror of that day. But he pushed them away. He had a feeling that the next day or two might do enough to provide him with fresh ones anyway. Sighing, he wondered if he'd ever have a good night's sleep again. I saw a berg dropping in at the last second before I swung down, Mark said, bringing his mind fully to the present and the task at hand. So we know they had at least two before we crashed one of them. Alec was shining the face of the work pad in different directions, scoping out the area. Yeah, I could hear those thrusters. I'm guessing that the landing pad sinks down here and the berg rolls off, then it goes back and up and rotates again. We better hurry before we have company we don't want. Alec stopped moving the work pad, holding it up to illuminate the entrances to two chambers on opposite sides of the one in which they stood. Grooves in the floor showed where the bergs were pulled off the landing pad once it sank down. Both cavernous spaces were dark and empty. The walkway that encircled the abyss in the center chamber was about four feet wide, and as they inched along, it creaked and groaned. The structure held, though Mark's heart didn't slow until he'd crossed it completely. Breathing a sigh of relief, Mark walked up to a round door with a wheel handle in the middle, like something in a submarine. This place was built a long time ago. Alex said as he handed the work pad over to Mark. Probably to protect government executives in case of a world catastrophe. Too bad no one had enough time to make it here. I'm sure most of them fried like the rest. Nice, Mark said, holding the work pad up so he could examine the door. You think it's locked? Alec had already stepped forward and grabbed the wheel tightly with both hands, preparing as though it wouldn't budge. But when he gave it a try, it spun a half-circle easily, sending him lurching to the side and crashing into Mark. The two of them stumbled and fell onto the walkway, Mark on top. "'Kid,' Alex said. "'I've been closer to you more today than I'd hoped to be in a lifetime. Now, make sure you don't fall off the edge. I need your help around here.' Mark laughed as he got to his feet, pushing off on Alex's gut a little more than he really needed to. It's a crying shame you never had kids, old man. Just think what a good grandpa you could have been. Oh, yeah, the former soldier replied through a grunt as he stood up. That would have been a lot of fun, imagining them all burning to death when the flares struck. That killed the mood instantly. Mark felt his own face fall as the words made him think of his parents in Madison. Though he'd never know for sure what had happened to them, his mind was super talented at imagining the absolute worst. Alec must have noticed. Oh, hell, I'm sorry. He reached out and squeezed Mark's shoulder. Boy, I'm telling you right here and now, with all the sincerity an old buzzard like me can muster, that I'm sorry for what I just said. I don't envy the losses you felt that day. Not one iota. Work was my family, and it wasn't the same. I know it. 
Mark had never heard the man say anything like what had just come out of his mouth. It's okay. Really. Thanks. He paused, then added, Grandpa. Alec nodded, then moved back to the wheel, spun it until there was a loud click. He swung the door open, and it clanged as it struck the wall. The other side revealed nothing but darkness, though a rumbling hum like the sound of distant machinery grew louder. What is that? Mark whispered. It almost sounds like there's a factory or something down here. He aimed the work pad's glow through the open doorway, revealing a long hallway that disappeared into darkness. Generator, I'm sure, Alec responded. I guess they couldn't live down here without at least a little electricity. How else would this thing work? He held the device out in front of him. Exactly. We've been living in the wild or in the settlement so long. It brings back memories. Bergs? Generators? You think they have a ton of fuel stored here, or are they bringing it in from somewhere else? Alec thought a second. Well, it's been a year, and it takes a heap to keep those bergs afloat. My guess is they're bringing it in. We keep going? Mark asked, though the answer was obvious. Yep. Mark stepped into the hallway first and waited for Alec to join him. What do we do when someone sees us? He was whispering, but his voice sounded loud in the confined quarters. We could use a weapon or two about now. Tell me about it. Look, we don't have much choice here, and we don't have a whole lot to lose. Let's just keep moving and take it as it comes. They started off down the hallway when something clanged behind them, followed by squeals and grinding gears. Mark didn't have to look to know that the landing pad, presumably with a berg perched on top, had begun to sink into the ground. Alec acted much calmer than Mark felt. He had to lean in to be heard over the racket. Let's wait to see which chamber it goes into, and then we'll hide in the other. We better not get caught in this hallway. Okay, Mark said, his heart thumping, his nerves on edge. He turned off the work pad. They didn't need it with the light spilling in from outside. They went back through the door and pulled it shut, then crouched in the shadows of the walkway as the huge berg descended. Luckily, the cockpit was on the other side, so there was little chance of them being seen. Once it had sunk all the way down, there were more clangs and squeals, and the ship started moving on tracks into the chamber to the right. Alec and Mark ran to the opposite chamber and hid in the very back, disappearing into the gloom. The wait was agonizing, but eventually the berg found its home. When it stopped moving, the giant landing pad began to move upward again, slowly but surely. Whoever had flown the ship had already disembarked, because Mark could faintly hear voices over the noises, then the sound of the round door being opened. Come on, Alec whispered into his ear. Let's follow them. They slipped out of the chamber and slinked along the walkway. The Berg passengers had left the door of the exit ajar, and Alec crouched next to it, leaning in to listen. He took a peek. Seemingly satisfied that they were in the clear, he gave Mark a stiff nod and slipped into the hallway once again. Mark followed just as the landing pad above him started to rotate, 
the bushes and earth and small trees heading back toward the sky. Voices echoed down the passage ahead of them, but they were too distorted to understand. Alec took the work pad from Mark and slipped it inside his backpack. Then he grabbed Mark's arm and started pulling him forward, walking close to the wall, his eyes narrowed. Soon everything would be plunged back into darkness. They crept down the hallway, step by careful step. Whoever had shown up had decided to stop and talk, because their voices became clearer as Mark and Alec continued their pursuit. It sounded like there were only two of them. Alec finally stopped as well, and suddenly Mark could hear every word. Just north of here, a woman was saying. Burned out like a brick oven. I bet it's got something to do with those people they caught last night. We'll know soon enough, a man responded. We better, like things weren't bad enough without losing our other berg. Those jacks in Alaska couldn't care less about us. Now that everything's gone weird, I bet we don't even hear from them again. No doubt, the woman said. Can you say expendable? Yeah, but that wasn't supposed to be us. It's not our fault the virus is mutating. The landing pad clanged behind them, presumably done with its rotation. All was dark. The new arrivals started walking away, their footsteps heavy, as if they wore boots. One of them clicked on a flashlight, the glow from its beam bobbing up ahead. Alec grabbed Mark again and they followed, keeping a safe distance. The two strangers didn't speak again until they reached a door. Mark heard the squeak of the hinges as it opened. Then the man said something as they stepped into a room Mark couldn't see. They've already got a name for it, by the way. They're calling it the Flare. The door slammed shut. Chapter 32 They hadn't heard much from the pair, but Mark didn't like the sound of it. The flare. He said they've started calling it the flare. The virus. Yeah. Alec lit up the work pad again. The glow revealed his face. The face of a man who looked as if he'd never smiled in his life. All sags and creases. That can't be good. If something has a nickname, that means it's big and being talked about. Not good at all. We need to find out what happened. Those people dancing around the fire got attacked way before us. At least their settlement did. Maybe they were some kind of test subjects. Then we've got two objectives, kid. One, find Lana, Trina, and that cute little whippersnapper. Two, figure out what's going on around here. Mark couldn't have agreed more. So let's get moving. Alec turned off the work pad, casting the hallway into darkness. Just run your hand along the wall, he whispered. Try not to step on me. They started making their way down the passage. Mark kept his footsteps light and his breathing shallow, trying to stay silent. The humming of distant machinery had grown louder, and the wall vibrated as his fingers traced an invisible line along its cool surface. They reached a spot where the slightest outline of rectangular light marked the door through which the two strangers from the burg had gone. Alec hesitated right before it, then hurried past on his tiptoes, the least soldierly thing Mark had ever seen him do. Mark decided to be a little braver. 
He stopped in front of it and leaned in, pressing his ear against the door. Not smart, Alec called out in a harsh whisper. Mark didn't respond, concentrating on what he could hear. Muffled words, impossible to make out. But the discussion sounded a little heated. Just come on, Alec said. I want to explore before someone locks us in a brig and throws away the key. Mark nodded, though he doubted the man could see him very well. He moved away from the door and resumed his position next to the opposite wall, hand pressed against it. They kept walking, soon in darkness again, as they left the faint light bleeding around the edges of the door. The hallway stretched on, the world silent except for the rumble of the machinery. Mark couldn't tell when it happened exactly, but he realized he could see again. There was a hazy red glow to the air, enough that Alec looked like a creeping devil in front of him. Mark held his hand up and wiggled his fingers. They looked like they were covered in blood. Assuming Alec had noticed too, he didn't say anything, and they continued. They finally came upon a large door in the left wall that was slightly ajar. A red bulb covered by a wired cage hung above it. Alec stopped and stared ahead, as if waiting for someone to explain what waited inside. The noises of humming and cranking machinery had escalated and now filled the air to the point that Mark couldn't whisper and be heard. Guess that answers the question on generators, he said. His head was really starting to ache right behind his eyes, and it hit him how exhausted he was. They'd been up through the night and half into another day. Maybe that's where they are. Just open the stupid thing. Alec glanced back at him. Patience, boy. Caution. A hasty soldier is a dead soldier. A slow soldier means Trina and them could be dead. Instead of responding, Alec reached out and opened the door, swinging it into the hallway. The sounds of machinery went up a notch, and a wave of heat poured from the space within, along with the stench of burning fuel. Oh, man, Alec said. I forgot how bad that smells. He carefully closed the door. Let's hope we find something more useful soon. They came upon the next door about twenty yards farther along, and there were three more past it, then finally one facing them where the hall ended. Each one of these doors also stood ajar about three inches, lit by a bulb encased in a cage just like the generator room. Except these lights were yellow and barely working. There's something really creepy about the doors being open, Mark whispered. And it's so dark inside the rooms. What's your point? Alec asked. Ready to turn around and go home? No, just saying that you should go in first. Alec chuckled. He stuck his foot out and nudged open the first door, which swung inward. It let out a metallic creak as dim yellow light spilled across the floor within though it wasn't enough to reveal anything else. The door came to a stop with a soft thud. Then there was only silence. Alec made a harumphing noise and walked on to the next room instead of going into the first one. He lightly kicked that door open as well, with a similar result. Mostly darkness, no sign of people, no sounds. He went to the next door and kicked it open, then to the last one at the end of the hallway nothing. 
Guess we better go in, he said. He turned back to Mark and jerked his head, a clear order to follow him into the last room. Mark quickly stepped up close to him, ready to do as he was told. Alec reached around the edge of the frame and searched for a light switch but came up empty, then went inside, Mark right behind.